This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys on Eric Carlson and their keeper pools. I am your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me, as per usual, is the fantasy hockey robot, the rotisserie rapscallion, the ad drop ace, the poobah of prognostication himself, Brightcom. Hello, Elon. Hello, everyone. Elon, it's kind of lonely. Just you and me, but of course, we have uh, our whole, you know, 11 listeners plus our moms also tuning in. So it's going to be uh, I, I promise all those people it's going to be a really excellent episode. Just Elon, just Brian, taking on the world. Woo! Yeah, I guess you're saying we're feeling lonely because, yeah, we had an episode with the Fantasy Hockey Podcast, guys. We had an episode with Dom Lushishin, but now we're back to the classic Elon-Brian pair that you've all hopefully come to know and, and somewhat like. Uh, so, yeah, we've got a big show today. It's an annual tradition, our Yahoo Rankings episode. We're going to go all the way through the, like, 1,000-plus players that Yahoo has ranked. That's the default ranking when you go into your drafts on Yahoo, and we're going to talk about who we think is ranked too high, who we think is ranked too low, because the way we see it, a lot of people, you know... Some people you draft with, our listeners at Keeping Carlson, are real sharks, are not going to even care about the Yahoo rankings, but some people show up, no prep, and they're using that ranking as a guide. You know, they're looking up who's sort of next in the queue, according to Yahoo, and then they're going to decide between those guys, so we're going to try to help you find some gems later on, and also let you know who you may want to avoid, because we think they're too high. I am very excited, Brian, but of course, before that, we got to set the table with a few quick things, including the fact that we are presented by DauberHockey.com, so proudly presented by them as the top fantasy hockey website in the world, and right now is the best time to be checking it every single day. They just dropped a 21 Fantasy Hockey Rambles article, just random thoughts about 21 different players, so that was a very good read. Also, friend of the podcast, Ben Burnett, is now a writer on Dauber Hockey, and he just dropped a Geek of the Week episode where he talked about some left wings that are worth the risk. They also have their guy. So it's a great site. You know all about it, I'm sure. DauberHockey.com. Brian, do you want to talk about anything else before we get into the Yahoo rankings? Should we promote any of our various things or have I been talking too long already? Let's just get right to it. You'll hear us promote other stuff. Oh, but by the way, if you want to just buy one Almanac chapter, if the whole thing is too much and you just want to hear like what we have to say about one particular team or your favorite team, keepingcarlson.com slash singles. But let's get to the show. 
Oh, yeah. So that's true. And by the way, as we go through, we might be talking about our projections when we're talking about certain players. We go, oh, we projected this much. You projected this much. I projected this much. We're referring to our Fantasy Hockey Almanac that we recorded last month, the world's second ever NHL audio almanac where we discussed every single team and Elon. we made a spreadsheet of projections. Okay, I just wanted to, you know, this is not promotion. This is just me explaining, you know, so that people understand what we're talking about. I'm ready. I'm ready to get into it. Okay. Yeah. Let's do it. So uh, basically, here's the plan. I'm going to kind of go down the list. We're going to start kind of at number one. We're not going to like mention every single player, but you know, we'll like stop at the players that interested us either for being too high or too low. So how about all like do a few of mine and say the top 50, and then we could circle back at yours in the top 50. So right at the start, it's pretty obvious at the start, you got McDavid, Kucherov. Sure, we could argue, oh, maybe Kucherov should be first, not McDavid. Okay, let's not waste our time with that. The first name that really jumped out at me is Ben Bishop at number 11, the number one goalie on the list ahead of Andre Vasilevsky, ahead of Patrick Anderson, Ben Bishop. I mean, I guess I get it. He had a 934 save percentage last year in 46 games. That's good. Uh, 27 wins, not among the league leaders because the guy missed some time, both because of injury and also because the Dallas Stars like to play Anton Hudobin a decent amount, I guess, because Hudobin's a really good goalie and also to rest Ben Bishop. So, I mean, anything is possible, of course. Like, it's possible Ben Bishop does turn out to be the most valuable goalie in fantasy next year. But to me, I'd rather a workhorse goalie who doesn't really have injury concerns. Uh, like, based on last year's numbers, uh, Pavelski coming in, the emergence of Haskin, I like, I see reasons to bet on Bishop for sure. But Brian, like, number one goalie, come on. Yeah, exactly. Come on. We have him in our tier three. And this is not a, a plug. We just have so much that we've shared with the world right now. So keepingcarlson.com slash goalies. You can see all our goalie tiers and there you'll find that Ben Bishop is in our third tier. And that's assuming a completely healthy season from Ben Bishop, which is not something you can rely on. Ben Bishop is a really good goalie. And, you know, half of me wonders, wow, is Yahoo going by Delta save percentage in their goalie rankings? Because that's the only way to explain why Ben Bishop ends up being the top goalie uh, ranked. He outplayed his expected save percentage last season by 17 points, which was tops amongst all goalies with number one, like, full-on starter workloads for the whole season. So good for Ben Bishop for doing that. Uh, But first off, he probably won't quite repeat it. And second off, he is injury prone. And like, you know, I don't want to put too big a bet down on any goalie. So really... It's unlikely you'll find me unless I'm in a really goalie heavy league reaching for any of these guys right away, any of like the top five, maybe even 10 ranked goalies. But if I were to reach for one, uh, it would not be Ben Bishop first. Yeah, and Brian, you love Ben Bishop, so this is probably even hard for you to say. But yeah, first, that's high. You can't get much higher than that. By the way, I should mention, I'm assuming the Yahoo rankings are based on the Yahoo standard categories that they use for their standard leagues. So for goalies, they count wins, shutouts, goals against average, save percentage. So that is two rate stats and shutouts, you know, who really cares? Like, they're so random and variable. So really, it's like two out of three of the categories that are worth thinking about are rate stats. So that would be a reason to have Bishop higher. But okay, that's enough about him for now. Let's go. I'm going to keep going down the list here. I'll get to the 50, like I said, and then we'll circle back to you. 14, I noticed Eric Carlson as the number one D ahead of Brent Burns. Respect. I like that, <laughs> Yahoo. I like what you're doing. I don't know if I would agree with it exactly. <laughs> yeah, wait. So wait, why did you say respect? I respect Yahoo for taking a swing <laughs> on Eric Carlson. That's what. That's a baller move, and I like it. Uh, and I'm a li- like, though at the same time, I'm a little disappointed because you know so much for hoping he'll fall in drafts. You know he had that rough start last year. He had the low shooting percentage, some injury concerns. I was hoping that maybe I could get Eric Carlson at a nice little discount. Maybe have him follow me in round three or four. Not with this Yahoo ranking, unfortunately. But uh, you can't get mad at them for taking our boy and putting him up as the number one D. Am I right? I mean, I could get mad at them if I was really, you know, 
betting a lot on the accuracy of their projections because as much as we are probably the biggest Carlson lovers in the world and uh, well I mean he's got family too I'm sure but Brent Burns is without a doubt in any format the top rated defenseman so if you're in a one-year league and you're drafting Eric Carlson first I love you but you're making a mistake we talked on our last episode with Dom about how like he had the best shot generation of his career in San Jose and that was matched with a super low uh, 0.8% shooting percentage at five on five. Yes, that's less than 1% when his career rate is closer to 7% shooting at five on five. So we could have expected even more like Carlson stayed a 70 point pace player last year in San Jose, which was really great, especially because he had a bit of a slow start and there were injury concerns, but his ceiling I think is a little lower than Brent Burns because it seems like the Sharks still favor him as the guy who's definitely going to get the most offensive opportunities. Sure. Okay. But anyways, most of the players we'll discuss, I'm not going to nitpick someone who I feel like could be like five points, give or take either way. Like, obviously, if it's like a points only league, you can make more of an argument to have Carlson ahead of Burns. If you're including shots, then Burns is like one of the best. Uh, okay. Uh, I, ca- I keep going down the list. Number 24, I see Tuka Rask. Uh, so C. Bishop, right? Like, I feel Come like... On. This is like a, he's not going to play that many games because you've got Yaroslav Halak there. And unlike Bishop, uh, Rask is a little more shaky in terms of his save percentage. Like last year, he was hot and cold all the way through. He was obviously great in the playoffs. I guess maybe that boosted him. But there were points when Yaroslav Halak was getting more starts than Rask during the season. So you can't have him so high. That's obvious. We, we don't even need to talk too much about goalies. We just did a whole goalie episode a couple of weeks ago. But come on, why is Rask so high? That's crazy. Yeah, so you'll at least let me give my standard line, which is that this is absolutely a timeshare. Tukaras did well last season, but uh, Yarrow Halak was the better goalie at even strength all season long, and I think is the better goalie still. Uh, regardless, Rask is going to be in a timeshare, so it's a very strange thing that Yahoo did to rank him fifth amongst all goalies. And I was like, oh, do they like a lot of tandem guys? And you look at their top, like, 15 or so, Rask stands alone as being the only guy that we know for sure is going to be in a tandem next year, or or at least we feel super confident about. So very strange, and I will be very excited to see my Yahoo opponents auto-draft him. <laughs> I mean... I wouldn't say I'm like 100% sure he's going to be a tandem. Like he, like last year he struggled at the beginning and that allowed Halak to come in and get a lot more starts than we were expecting. If Rask comes out hot next year, I could see it being, I'm not saying, you know, I could see it being like uh, maybe a Dallas situation like Bishop Hudobin where Bishop's the for sure starter, Hudobin's the for sure backup, but Hudobin plays more than the average backup. I could see it being like that. I wouldn't say it's a tandem exactly for sure anyway. It's definitely the most tandem-y situation of any top 15 ranked goalie aside from maybe Carter Hart. Yeah, oh, Brian. <laughs> okay. Yeah, which I disagree also. That's fine. Uh, next, uh, let's go climbing down the list here. Obviously, at the start, we're going to be talking about players we think are ranked too high. And then as we get lower, we'll get to the guys we think are too low. That kind of makes sense how the, the laws of the universe work. Okay, next, uh, 34 here, P.K. Subban. He's the number six defenseman. And he's ahead of guys like Chris Letang, John Klingberg, Morgan Riley, Dustin Bufflin, who I should mention is on a leave of absence. So maybe it makes sense now to drop Bufflin down a little bit. Though it's early. Like, maybe Bufflin will be back. We don't know the reason. Anyways, uh, Seth Jones, Mark Giordano, Tori Krug, like all of these guys are ranked below P.K. Subban. Seems kind of high for someone who only had 31 points in 63 games last year. That's a 40-point pace. And Brian, I know we're excited about Subban going to New Jersey and, you know, manning that top power play with Taylor Hall and all those other great players. But still, like Subban, he's 30 years old, and you can't completely discount the possibility that maybe he's just not as good as he used to be. Like, I expect him just like you to bounce back from his offseason last year, but not all the way up to be the sixth ranked D in fantasy. 
I agree. You know I'm bullish on Subban going into this season. I like him going to New Jersey. I like what that means for him. It's no like no more competition. It's not like he's going to be fighting with Damon Severson and Sammy Vatnin and Will Butcher the same way that he was sort of fighting with Roman Yosi and Ryan Ellis. Uh, I love that Subban is going to be on what's on a very powerful power play. And for anyone who just thinks the guy's declined, uh, let me remind you, he hasn't declined. He just had less opportunity in Nashville than he did in Montreal. So I think coming to New Jersey is a chance to return to that Montreal deployment where he was absolutely the guy and he has great personnel surrounding him on that top power plane, which is why I'm excited about Subban. And he has upside to be the sixth ranked defenseman in fantasy, but that's his upside, right? There are more proven and reliable defensemen that you should grab first before P.K. Subban, who's sit, like, who we've seen already hit 60 points in their given situations, or at least 55 with a load of peripherals. I would probably have Subban ranked outside of my top 10 defensemen that I'm drafting, probably somewhere around, you know, my top 15. Yeah, it makes sense. Like, obviously, like I said, and like you said, we're high on him for next year, but not that high. Uh, okay, so Brian, that's it for the guys in the top 50 that I wanted to talk about. So before I go on with more of my list, do you want to share who jumped out at you in the top 50 of the Yahoo ranked players? Okay, sure. Uh, I'm going to start at number four. And I think you're, you're going to want to argue with, like, I think you're nervous that I'm bringing up Alex Ovechkin as <gasps> the fourth ranked player in Yahoo Fantasy this year. Uh, like, I, you know, I know how much you love Ovechkin, and I love him too, and I've gotten on board with at least not writing him off of breaking Wayne Gretzky's goal-scoring record one day in this season being another step in that direction. But fourth overall, I feel like it's it's too high. Like, if your league has a premium on goals or shots, that's great. But even then, uh, like Ovechkin's raw point totals put him a tier lower than many of the guys going before and after him, according to Yahoo's ranking. So I know Ovechkin has these peripheral categories where he's a really great contributor and like might be, be a better multi-cat guy, but I see plenty of 40 goal scorers available in like the top 20 or 30 of Yahoo's ranks. And I don't know that you need to reach for Ovechkin before you reach for the guys below him. Um, you know, like I might prefer yeah, give me a name. Well, okay, so you've got McDavid, Kucherov, McKinnon, and then Yahoo has Ovechkin. I might take Patrick Kane before him. I might take Brad Marchand before him. Uh, David Pasternak. These are all guys who I, I would absolutely consider ahead of Ovechkin, just because he's a risk, right? The older he gets, the riskier a play he is. And we, we he, he's in decline, and it's hard for me to take a declining player <laughs> he's in decline overall. What's that, what makes you think he's in decline? Well, last year he scored 51 goals, which was fantastic, but it was not in a sustainable way. Like, we have him projected to drop almost 10 points in his pace from last year to this year. So, uh, like, you agreed with me that he's in decline. Um, okay, I'll have to take a look and replay that tape. I mean, yeah, he probably won't be as good. He'll probably maybe go down to 45 goals. All I know is that according to Yahoo's uh, standard categories, right, they count goals, assists, plus minus, power play points, which he's great at, hits, which he's great at, and shots on goal, which yeah. again, he's one of the best at. I'm looking right. at the cupful scoring leaders from last year, so it's not the exact, uh, you know, same categories as Yahoo's standard, but Ovechkin was second overall, only behind Kucherov. He had 588 fantasy points. Patrick Kane, who had more more overall, like regular points, had eight points less in terms of fantasy points. Like Connor McDavid was less. So in a lot of leagues, I feel like 
Ovechkin is just so great because even if he goes down five goals or so, he's like super reliable, has a super high floor with all of those peripherals, and he's still good for like 45 goals and probably at least 80 points. So I don't know. I, maybe you could drop him down five, to five or six, but I'm not going to yeah. agree with you that Yahoo like really whiffed on this one. I'm not saying free fall. I just find it, I find it interesting because, you know, he's going into his age 34 season and I'm just a little nervous about picking somebody that old in the top five in my fantasy draft. But you're right. I am nitpicking here. How about a couple guys who I think are too low uh, in the top 50? You've got Miko Rantanen, who is the fifth ranked right winger behind Marner, Pasternak, Kane, and Kutrov, which is probably right. Um, but he's a bargain if you look at him compared to the other centermen who are ranked ahead of him, right? Uh, you know, he's not McDavid, he's not McKinnon, fine. But I might prefer Miko Rantanen to guys like Crosby, Matthews, and of course, Ben Bishop, Andre Vasilevsky. You know, those guys are all ahead of him, and rightfully so, but they're in positions, like if you're going, you know, if you have center, left wing, right, right wing, they're in positions I care less about for VORP reasons, for value over replacement reasons. And I'll say the same thing about Johnny Gaudreau, who's ranked 18th, uh, just two spots behind Rantanen. He's the fifth ranked left winger when I think he's got the best chance at 100 of the guys who are ranked top five between Ovechkin, Marshan, Dreisaitl, and Panarin. Okay, maybe about the same chance as Marshan of hitting 100. And I get the peripherals aren't quite there, but I would definitely have him ahead of Panarin, probably ahead of Dreisaitl. So, uh, so I think he's a little low. And then the last Oh, I've got two more guys in the top 50, so I'll move really quickly here. Um, well, I could I could comment on them, if that's okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you with Goudreau. Like, he would be great, and probably that's a little low for him. I could see him getting dra- drafted, like, at the top of the second round of most leagues, and that would make a lot of sense. Uh, Rantanen, the thing is, again, it comes down to some peripherals, right? Like, obviously, as a right winger, he gets a bump, and I understand why you're saying you would rather have him over someone like Austin Matthews, just because Matthews is a center. But at the same time, Rantanen didn't even take 200 shots last year. I guess if he would have played the full season. He missed around eight games. Uh, so yeah, that maybe kept him under. He had 193 shots. You know, Matthews is like trending for like above 300 shots. And so things like that make me a little worried about Ranson. Also with Ranson to me, and Brian, you could feel free to disagree. I still feel like he is line dependent. And I don't like that in a guy I'm drafting like the first round of my league. Like if, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but if Colorado for whatever reason were struggling and they decided to move him to another line, his value would tank. And you know, you can't say that for other guys that are in like the top 15, top 20. Like I'm not worried about, oh, if Patrick Kane gets bumped to a line or, you know, whatever, or Austin Matthews, right? Like, but Ranson, I still feel like a, a lot of his value, he's a great player, of course, but a lot of his value comes from playing with McKinnon. Oh, and also, the fact that he doesn't have a contract right now and obviously Yahoo didn't take that into account that would be another reason why I'm not especially rushing to reach for him in like the first round of my draft of course right I should clarify this is assuming he is under contract and you make a good point about him being like I don't think he's line dependent I think he's a really high-end player but maybe Colorado you know he is less he is more line dependent than the guys I mentioned like Crosby and Matthews like they're centering a line they're gonna drive their business and you know you could argue Colorado doesn't have the most fulsome top six so if Renton ends up off the top line I agree so maybe maybe I'm convinced to leave him where he is yeah and when I say he's line dependent I should say like I don't mean he's gonna suck but I mean like let's say forget about uh you know he gets bumped around the lineup let's say McKinnon got injured there's no way you'd be expecting Ranton to keep up a 99 point pace or whatever right you'd expect him to fall quite a bit I don't know if you expected Palmieri to keep up his pace when Hall got injured I don't know why you wouldn't expect Ranton in but I didn't expect Palmieri to keep up his pace so I no one knows what you're talking about 
<laughs> uh, I think uh, I still think Rendon would do pretty well, but like, yeah, it's a 10, 15 point full season difference. Maybe if he does have to play without McKinnon for a while, because Nazem Kadri, the next best option now is pretty good. Okay. Two more guys in the top 50 who I think are funny in their rankings. The first too low, Jack Eichel. 37th. This is a guy with 90 point potential, 300 shots, and uh, you could pick him up in Yahoo's rankings in your third or fourth round, which would be amazing, right? Like positionally, just as a centerman, there's a bunch of C's ranked ahead of him, like Malkin, Aho, Bergeron, like maybe even I'd take Eichel over Tavares, maybe Sagan. Um, so like Eichel gives you great value if you can watch these other centermen flying off the shelves and then you can just bide your time uh, nabbing wings and defensemen with your highest picks and then still get Eichel as your top line center, which would just be so fantastic. Um, I understand like he has the peripherals, he has the 300 shots, but I suppose that plus minus might be a concern in the standard Yahoo scoring for Jack Eichel. He was a minus 11 last year, but that was a big improvement over minus 25 the year before. Uh, but even if he gets up to even, you look at the guys I mentioned, Malkin, Ajo, Bergeron, Tavares, uh, they're all going to be well into the pluses. So maybe that tilts away from Eichel, but you shouldn't be using plus minus anyway. And I'll say the same thing, by the way, uh, as Eichel being a 90-point guy available, like several spots behind a bunch of, you know, say 80-point guys, uh, Braden Point is down there at 48 Uh, ranked 48th overall, but uh, of course, contract situation, which it seems after that Marner deal, the point ask was leaked and it looked woefully low, right? It was under $6 million. So uh, they're going to have some work to do, he and Tampa, to get him in the lineup. And one other guy with a contract dispute, Patrick Liney is ranked 42nd overall. Uh, He's ranked 10th or 11th, depending on if, for his position, depending on if you're looking at him as a left wing or right wing. But 42nd overall feels high, right? There's so much uncertainty around him. First, no contract. Second is ice time in relationship with his coach. Third, he just came off a rough season. So, I, you know, I he's not somebody I want to reach for. I could see Liney being the top Yahoo ranked available left wing and right wing for several rounds. Like he's going to be that guy sitting at the top early on in the draft before someone's ready to take a shot on him at the right risk reward moment, which we were talking about uh, with a fantasy hockey podcast duo a couple weeks back. Yeah, I, interesting points, all of them. I think Line, like someone's going to take him. I don't think he's going to be hanging around at the top. Like he's such a big name and he has that 50 goal potential. We thought he was going to hit it last year. So maybe I understand why you wouldn't take him, but I think someone will take him. I don't think he's going to stand there at the top. Uh, regarding Jack Eichel, I just wanted to comment on his plus minus. Yeah, bad last season, but I think Buffalo's going to have a very much improved defense this season. Like just they have all new players, right? They've got Montreux, they picked up at the end, Colin Miller, Yoki Haru, Ristolainen is a, you know, still there that Rasmus Dahlin, of course, is like a year older and better. So I think this might be a different Buffalo team, and I wouldn't even worry too much about their plus-minus right now. I guess unless you think their goalies suck. And that's the reason why plus-minus is kind of an iffy category in fantasy, because it's not Jack Eichel's fault if Linus Olmark or Carter Hutton can't stop the puck. But yeah, uh, I agree with you there. And Eichel, by the way, 
13th ranked in total fantasy points in the Cupful, the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League last year. So huge value if you would, were able to get him, like you said, in the 30s. Uh, so, okay, let's do the 50s to 100s. Now, I only have actually a couple players I want to bring up here. I think overall Yahoo actually did a good job, and I feel like in previous years, we've really had some fun making fun of their odd rankings and some weird players being too low and too high. But I feel like they maybe hired someone smarter this year, because this ranking doesn't look too bad to me. But one player who jumped up in this uh, 50 to 100 spot is is Nicholas Backstrom, who's ranked 63rd. Uh, like, I think that's too high. Like, I think that Nicholas Backstrom isn't as good to be drafted that high. Like, centers that are ranked after him include Sean Monahan, Tomas Hurdle, Sean Couturier, Dylan Larkin, Ryan O'Reilly. These are all people who had more points than Nicholas Backstrom last year. And hey, for what it's worth, according to Caps Camp tweets that I've been seeing over the weekend, Backstrom has been skating with Ovechkin and Tom Wilson, so maybe Backstrom will be back on the top line for a bit of time. Maybe it's not Kuznetsov's job just yet. But Brian, are are you with Yahoo that Backstrom is worth ranking ahead of all of those guys I just said? Or do you think that maybe he should be a bit lower? I agree that he should be a bit lower. Uh, you know, he's great in assists, great in power play points, uh, good in plus minus, but he's not going to help you in a whole lot of other places. And like Ovechkin, he's a player who we're sort of expecting to be heading uh in the other direction, uh, like he's over the hill on the way down, right at this point in his career. Um I liked a lot what Backstrom did last year. I think he did better than it looked. He had a really low power play IPP, which means while he was on the ice on the power play, he wasn't getting in on as many goals as he was used to. And that was actually the second time in a row, the second year in a row that that happened to him. But I don't feel like it's actually a trend. I think it's just two sort of aberrations in a row. And I know that's like not the way we usually look at things, right? It's like, oh, two years is the start of third year you're like okay is this a trend i don't think it is um but he also backstrom benefited from some tj oshi scoring that we can't expect to persist so like if his power play ipp doesn't come back and this does turn out to be a trend for backstrom then uh, you know i think he's gonna have trouble pacing around 75 points as he has lately so uh, i'm hoping for about 75 points but there is a ceiling on him especially compared to the rest of the guys you mentioned the centermen who are available after him yeah, like even if Backstrom gets around 75 points, we're seeing Couturier, who's been around 85, like Monaghan, who had over 80 last year. So it's like other centermen, and like you say, also who are a lot younger and maybe trending up as opposed to Backstrom, who we're expecting to trend down at some point. Uh, the other guy in the top 100 who I think is a bit high is the 97th overall ranked player, Thomas Shabbat. I think it's a risky spot to take him as the 20th D. You may think, oh, 20th D, that seems about right for him. He ended last year, of course, with a 64-point pace, but he ended last season on closer to a 40-point pace after the big names, you know, Duchesne and Stone left the team. So I would be very worried and not expecting him to be able to get back to how good he was before. Like, sure, the Sens have some exciting rookies, but the goings may be tough for Shabbat, so I'm not sure if I'm reaching for him ahead of Matt Dumba, Oliver ekman Larson, Drew Doughty, Dougie Hamilton, or the next guy who I plan to bring up which i'll do it in a bit but yeah thomas shabbat is ahead of all of those guys and i think a lot of those guys i would rather take over shabbat who i'm a little bit concerned about for next year that's it this is a risk management kind of situation you shouldn't i don't think that you should be jumping to take shabbat apparently he's a fantastic player like we've seen him play and he could be the next coming 
of Carlson, and like that's even hard to say. That's how he's being sold in Ottawa. But his teammates seem to vouch for him. I was reading an athletic article where Matt Duchesne said he just like floats up the ice magically with the puck, and he is outstanding at what he does. And so if somebody can succeed, it's sort of like we're thinking, okay, what would Eric Carlson be able to do on this Senators team? Uh, and we wouldn't have doubts because we know who he is. But if he was just in his second or third year, we might be like, ah, I'm not so sure what he's capable of. And that, that's how I'm feeling about Thomas Shabbat. So even though his upside could be for one day to be like a, a 60, 70 point guy, it's going to be a lot on his shoulders to even get to 50 this year with really only Brady Kachuk around to help him make things happen. So that's why I join you in being a little concerned and apprehensive about being the one to take a risk on Thomas Shabbat. Like I'd much rather say PK Subban. Well, yeah. And also, I mean, like I said, we saw stretches of Shabbat last year when those star players left the team not doing so well. You know, Carlson, if we would have seen him doing stretches like that, then maybe we'd be more concerned about him. And yeah, I don't like yet. Just because they both played in Ottawa doesn't mean I'm going to start saying Thomas Shabbat and Eric Carlson in the same breath. Come on, Ottawa media, get get a hold of yourself. Uh, okay, so Brian, uh, that's it for my top 100 players that I want to discuss. So how about you go and give me your 50 to 100 players that you think are ranked a little strangely? Okay, uh, I'll start with a couple defensemen, let you comment, and then run through the forwards. Uh, the first two, Tyson Barry at 54. Uh, that makes him the 11th ranked defenseman, which means they're ranking him as though he was still playing in Colorado. He's in Toronto now, might be in a timeshare. We've talked about this ad nauseum, right, in our Toronto uh, Almanac chapter and I think on our Fantasy Hockey Podcast uh, collaboration. Uh, I'm just... I'm apprehensive about Tyson Barry. In fact, I think I would draft Shabbat ahead of Tyson Barry. So that makes Tyson Barry uh, quite an overpay at 54, uh, 54th overall. And then Seth Jones, it, like at 57th overall, a few spots later, like his peripherals are what put him there, right? But you have to be very careful if you're in a league where his peripherals aren't valuable. Um, he's ranked ahead of guys like Giordano, Krug, Eric Gustafsson, Keith Yandel, Rasmus Dahlin. Like, Giordano can probably even keep up with Seth Jones in peripherals too. The other guys can't, but make sure you're taking into account your league scoring format before you draft Seth Jones ahead of all those guys. Yeah, I would say this is more about Giordano being too low than Seth Jones being too high. Like, I think all the other names you said, Seth Jones seems to fit in pretty nicely with them. Just my opinion. And also, man, I don't mean to disagree because I feel like I feel bad because all the players I've said you've kind of agreed with, but all the ones you're saying, I'm kind of being a little argumentative. But yeah, yeah we, we do disagree about Tyson Barry a little bit. Like, I feel like going to Toronto, he won't maybe have as great an opportunity as he had in Colorado, but Toronto's a great team. And I don't think it's just going to be like a career killer to go to this highly offensive team. Like, I think he's still good for 50, 55 points. I know you disagree. So that's fine. We, and we already discussed this on our show with the Fantasy Hockey Podcast guys. Uh, and you said now you're going to do some forwards that you're going to go through. But no, I, I wouldn't mind if you pause after each one to let me make a little comment, uh, just in case. Okay. <laughs> sure. And like, I still have Tyson Barry at 50 points this season. That's where I projected him. It's just 54th overall is pretty rich ahead of Seth Jones and all the guys I mentioned that you still might even want ahead of Seth Jones. Uh, I can't really buy in. And Barry isn't much of a peripherals guy, although we have to keep referencing plus minus because that's what Yahoo uh, bases these rankings on to some extent. And that should be just fine in Toronto. Okay forwards. Right after Seth Jones, we have uh, Phil Kessel. Uh, like I mentioned how 
Tyson Berry was ranked as his Colorado self. Phil Kessel is ranked as his Pittsburgh self in these rankings. I think we've talked about why we're not as high on Kessel in Arizona. Uh, he's a great power play producer, but Crosby, Malkin, Latang are not coming to Arizona with him. So he's going to have a lot to do uh, to try and make that power play click the way it clicked in Pittsburgh. I don't think he'll be able to. Arizona's power play struggled last season. I think he'll help and improve, but I don't think he can bring all of the Pittsburgh power play points that he scored with him. Uh, Yahoo doesn't seem to mind his move to Arizona, but I sure do. That's right. It's kind of like a conversation with Dom Lushishin because his uh, model also didn't mind the move because his model doesn't take into account these types of things. But yeah, I definitely agree with you on Kessel. I will point out uh, in the chat room, Ryan is saying he thinks Barry's going to run the power play. Like, there is a possibility that Barry, like, I, but he's more risk. So I, we don't need to keep on going on about Barry. But yeah, there is a, re- I, I don't argue so much with Yahoo because they're taking a swing there. And I think they're like, it's defendable as opposed to Phil Kessel at 58. That's a little high. And I see a lot of these guys you're about to talk about next, who I would definitely prefer over Phil Kessel for next season. Right. Okay. Uh, then I'm just going to rhyme off a couple names who are steals, I think, in the top within the top 75. You've got Philip Forsberg at 64, Voracek, Ben, and Meyer at 76, 77, and 78. These guys are steals at 75, 80-point wingers there, especially... Jamie Benn with his hits and Timo Meyer with his shots on goal. Uh, those peripherals are going to help you if your league counts those. So these guys are great value. These, these, these are probably players who should be going around maybe two rounds ahead of where Yahoo's ranked them. Yeah, I mean, I can't disagree. I guess we'll have to go talk about specific player comparisons there. Like, you haven't mentioned anyone ahead aside from, I guess, Phil Kessel. So, uh, but yeah, seems like a little low for really great players. But to make, to be fair, like, Forsberg had a down year last year. Ben had a down year last year. Timo Meyer is, you know, only has had this one really great breakout season. And Jacob Voracek, like that Philly power play. Like, I see reasons why they wouldn't have them any higher. But obviously, you are very high on all these four. As you talked about in the Almanac, you projected them all for, like, 75 plus points. Yeah, I think they're all like reasonably ranked in terms of wingers, but they're just behind some centermen, defensemen, and goalies that I don't think they should quite be behind. Um, and then actually sandwiched between Forsberg and Voracek and my like Forsberg, Besser, Pacioretty, Voracek, Timo Meyer. Like, what? Why is this? Why is Max Pacioretty there? Like, he sticks out like a sore thumb here amongst guys in this section of Yahoo's rankings that you can really rely on, both in skill and role. Pacioretty, not a guy you can really rely on. And we saw that last season, which we looked into and we're like, you know, did he just stumble? And he did turn it on at the end, uh, which which was the real Pacioretty. I think that, like, obviously it's the full season product was the real Pacioretty, but I am not thinking that he is going to be able to sustain his hottest moments last year. Like, I'm skeptical he can even hit 60 points. So for him to be ranked as high as 72nd overall ahead of Voracek, Ben, and Meyer is uh, difficult for me to stomach. Yeah, I hear you there for sure. Like, there are reasons to be excited about Pacioretty. I feel like if Paul Stasny is healthy all season, and if they're playing a line of, of Pacioretty, Stasny, and Mark Stone, like, that's a really killer line. Like, Mark Stone wasn't there for a lot of last year, too, so there are reasons to expect Pacioretty to take advantage of some, maybe some better line mates and do better. But, yeah, obviously I'm going to be taking uh, Timo Meyer or Voracek. Ben, I don't know, well, yeah, probably Ben as well, because I expect him to bounce back. So I am in agreement with you. I'm glad we're back on the same page. Brian, <laughs> throw me a couple more players, and then let's go 
go uh, to our advertiser for the episode. We're finally doing ads again. I'm kind of is that weird that I'm kind of excited to read an ad? I haven't done it in a while. I'm very excited to listen to you read an ad. Uh, and I'll also add, by the way, Pacioretty, if you're like, oh, I think he's going to be that 60-point guy, first off, that's like a ceiling, right? We can't reasonably expect more than that. And second off, he's not taking shots the way he once was, just paced for 230 last year, which was a drop from 270 the year before that, which was a drop from 300 shot pace the year before that. So moving in the wrong direction. And then uh, I mentioned some wingers who I found were steals, uh, some centermen within the top 100 uh, that I think would be great to get where they're ranked. You've got Sean Couturier ranked 83rd, Dylan Larkin ranked 85. These are 80-point centermen that you can get in the sixth round, and that's assuming your league has 14 teams in it, like the cupful divisions do, uh, you could get these guys even later than the sixth round if you have 10 or 12 teams in your league. And I would be so happy to just wait for these guys to drop to me. Like I said, I'd be happy uh, nabbing Eichel at 37th or wherever we said he was. I'd be happy even waiting on Eichel, continuing to load up on wingers and defensemen, and then grabbing one or both of Couturier and Larkin if they're able, like if they actually do fall this late, they're actually ranked behind, uh, just behind Matt Duchesne and Joe Pavelski, who I think are both going to be second line centers this year. So no thanks to them. And yes, please to Couturier and Larkin. I could be like a real nerd here and say that I read a tweet this weekend <laughs> that Duchesne was skating with Forsberg and Granlund. So it might be like all different lines in Nashville Ugh. next year, but who knows, right? And I, this is way, like I'll probably read into it too early, but uh, still not this early. Like give me like two weeks and then you can make fun of me for reading into line combinations too early. I won't do it just yet. Uh, but I still would very much like to go to a game, of course, and see these hot shot players. Like Dylan Larkin, by the way, ranked to 85th, especially for league counts hits. He's even good for you there. I would love to see Larkin fall to my team at 85th. I'd love to see Larkin play in person as well as all these hockey players. I'm so excited that hockey's back. It's time to go see some games and why not get some help to go do so with our friends over at SeatGeek. Brian, do you ever feel like ticketing websites make getting to the event difficult on purpose? Have you ever had that feeling? It's a rhetorical question. I'll keep going. Like, it's as if they're so big, they can just get away with not caring about the customer experience. You know what? And like, so what if their site's annoying and doesn't have the events you want? Hello? Status quo? Am I right? The real question is how easy could it be if those ticketing sites actually cared? Well, guess what? There is a site that cares. And guess who it is? I'll tell you. It's SeatGeek. With millions of live event tickets and price match guarantee, SeatGeek proves there's a better way. You could search sports, live music, comedy, and more. SeatGeek has the tickets you're looking for all in one place. It's a really great site. Easy to use. They also have an app. And let me tell you something. Like, SeatGeek is better than the rest because if you take a look at the app store... You'll see over 50,000 five-star reviews. How's that for customer satisfaction? It's a better process. They pull together millions of tickets from all over the web. They rate each deal on a scale of 1 to 10. And finally, SeatGeek displays them on an interactive seat map. Wowie zowie. Interactive? I know. You just click around. It moves around. I think it's like 3D. I think there's some VR component. I don't know. That part I'm not so sure about, but the rest of it is definitely true. Uh, Brian, I was taking a look at SeatGeek, see what's going on in Toronto this coming weekend, and we got some sports, baby. I could go see a preseason Leafs game against the Sabres, or I could go to Buffalo to also see a preseason Leafs game against the Sabres, or I could go to, while I'm in Buffalo, I could go see the Bengals against the Bills, a football game. Brian, how would you rank the prices of those three events? So, Bengals at Bills, Sabres at Leafs preseason, and Leafs at Sabres preseason. Uh, okay, highest is the one in the game in Toronto. Second is the Bills game, 
and third is the Sabres? No. Second is the Sabres game, and third is the Bills game. I know nothing about it. Oh, but the NFL is a regular season game. Yeah. Oh, this is tricky. Okay, Bills game first, then Leafs game in Toronto, then game in Buffalo. Wow. Brian, you nailed it. You got it right. Last year, you almost got it wrong, and I only gave you two options. It made it harder for you this year. You've been boning up on your CPU knowledge. Yeah, <laughs> I've studied you... all day long today. Yeah, but still, good deal, by the way. Like, I could go for 41 bucks, go see the Sabres at the Leafs, or if I want to go for a drive, $12 right now on SeatGeek to see the Leafs at the Sabres in Buffalo. So that, that might be fun. Uh, so yeah, check out SeatGeek. And I believe, Brian, correct me if I'm wrong, do we not even have a special deal for our listeners if they check out SeatGeek? You are absolutely right. Thank goodness, because it would be cruel to say we did and then me to have to correct you and be the bad guy. But no, if you listen to our show, you're going to get $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. All you need to do is use our special promo code. Download the SeatGeek app today and use the promo code KEEPING for $10 off on your first purchase. That's promo code KEEPING for $10 off on your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event. And you have the tickets. Well, I don't. They have the tickets. You can get the tickets. Okay. That was a fun ad read, Brian. Do you like my indignation at the beginning of how mad I am at those other ticketing sites? I hate those other ticketing sites. Gross. Delete those apps from your phone, okay? Don't even look at them. All right, so Brian, let's go continue down the list. We're into the hundreds now. So now we're going to get to some players who we're generally going to say are ranked too low like kind of like we're getting into sleep not sleeper territory yet because these are still really good players we'll get to sleepers later on but you know what i mean like value guys that you can maybe get late in a yahoo league and i want to refer back to my thomas shabbat being the 20th ranked d and compare him to a guy who's all the way down at 119 overall and it's kale mccarr who i think we've been arguing about a little bit but i think we actually agree so we could set the record straight right here but we've already talked about a bit recently i definitely wanted to bring him up because there was a recent tweet by Ryan S. Clark saying that Coach Bednar was asked how the Avs plan to replace Barry on the top power play, and his answer was simple. He said, Kale McCarr, okay? So that makes me more confident that McCarr is going to be the guy, and we don't need to worry so much about Sam Girard competing for that role. I know, Brian, you'll say, well, no, but Girard is good, and, like, if McCarr struggles, then, like, Girard could compete. But, like, I don't think it's going to happen. I think McCarr is just a really great player, and the coach wants to play him there. I'm not worried. And at 119th overall, McCarr is the 28th-ranked defenseman behind, like, Shea Theodore, McAvoy, Haskinen, Shabbat, like I said. I feel like I'd want to move McCarr around to where Shabbat is actually listed, because that top power play on Colorado is killer. Brian, like, who would you take between the two for next season if we were to compare Shabbat and Makar? I think that, like, gives a really good sense of how you feel about these guys. I also, by the way, saw a tweet where someone mentioned or asked what treacherous road conditions do to their beat-up 98 Chevrolet, and the answer was kill Makar. <laughs> did you work hard on that, or did you come up with that just now? I clearly came up with it just now, and it was not worth it. Okay, <laughs> Uh, the question was Makar versus Shabbat. Yeah, this is a tough one. I feel like Shabbat has the higher floor and potentially the same ceiling. Like, I guess you think Makar being on the top power play unit in uh, Colorado, if he's there for 82 games, you know, full-time job for him, uh, the sky really is the limit with that kind of personnel. But I think Shabbat is kind of the safer pick because you're guarded against the possibility that Makar does not see all 82 games there. And I know, I know it's not the popular opinion. We all want to believe that Kale Makar is just going to get the job outright. And that's that. But 
unlike in Ottawa, Colorado has another player in Sam Girard who could hypothetically, notice how much I'm stressing this hypothetical situation. He could potentially do the job if Makar can't. And the fact that the Avs have somebody else to put in that role means that uh, I might lean towards Shabbat because the Sens are not going to put anybody else in that role. Yes, they have Eric Brandstrom, but Shabbat is every bit uh, the Sens player of the future that Brandstrom is and more. And Brandstrom might not even be with the team for 82 games or even five games or 10 games. So that's why I would take Shabbat first. Who would you take? Definitely Makar, actually. So I guess we'll just agree to disagree. I think Colorado's going to score more goals. I think Makar is going to be there as the main guy, and I'm willing to take a swing, especially. And even if we disagree about Makar versus Shabbat, you've got to agree with me that you're taking Makar over like Haskinen and McAvoy, right? Because these guys are for sure not going to be r- running their team's top power play. So unless you really care about some Haskinen peripherals or something like, I love Haskinen. Don't get me wrong, but I'm really excited about Makar. I just got him in a draft yesterday, actually, pretty late, and it was really fun because when I drafted him, a bunch of people in the chat room were like, "No!" and "F you." Like, that's the best feeling when you're drafting. That's one of my favorite things about doing a snake draft. Makar is definitely going to be that guy in drafts this year. I think it's like Makar and Gusev, the guys who like people know about, but might like accidentally fall off their radars or they think they can steal him a little too late in a draft. And when someone takes him, oh, like that was my guy. Yeah, I want you to know that I had him on my radar too. Okay. Makar, like I guarantee you all in all of your fantasy drafts this season, Makar drafted lots of noise in the draft room. Yeah, I got compliments. I liked it. Made me feel good. <laughs> uh, hopefully he'll back them up and actually also make me feel good by helping me win my league. Uh, okay, another defenseman who's even later, who I think should be higher, maybe even ahead of both of these guys, Jacob Truba at 123. I'm starting to feel like maybe you could wait a bit on D in your drafts. Like generally, I like to draft D early and shore them up because the value of a replacement is so high. But if the Yahoo rankings are accurate, you could get a lot of great forwards in the top 50 or whatever, and then get your D like later after the top 100. You'll get Makar and Truba as your top two defensemen. That's not too bad at all. Truba had 50 points last year. We both projected him for 55 on the Rangers next year. Brian, let's do a little check-in. Like, are we still feeling good? Like, assuming that Truba is going to be the top D man at even strength and on the power play for the Rangers next year, or has there been any indication to you that he needs to be looking over his shoulder for Adam Fox or Tony D'Angelo or anything like that? Well, you asked if we were okay to still love Truba, assuming he's the top power play guy. And That's then not you what I said, asked. Yeah. I said, are we still feeling good that he will be the guy? I'm feeling good that he will no, be the guy. No, you didn't. You said, assuming he's the guy, do we still like him? I, <laughs> and I was going to say, like, oh, well, that's a really big assumption. And then you were like, or are we worried about the guys about... Anyway. Thanks uh, for correcting me. You're right. I had very... <laughs> I, I'm glad because I was worried that people didn't understand. So good. <laughs> uh, I am worried about the guys behind Jacob Truba a little bit. You know, ask me to rank the Adam Fox versus Sam Girard threat level for the number one power play quarterback position. And I would rank Adam Fox higher uh, as being more of a threat to Truba than Girard is to Makar. I don't know. You know, it's hard to know what to make of Truba because he was right up there with the best power play quarterbacks last year. He ranked seventh in points per 60, had similar underlying numbers, uh, and Truba like those were on th- th- those numbers came on the power play, but at even strengths, Truba was also phenomenal. He was putting up scoring rates in the company of guys like uh, Seth Jones and Tori Krug. So uh, Truba can do the job. I have no doubt about that. It's just a matter of whether the Rangers are going to ask him to do the job, and I sure hope they do because he could be a super valuable guy there. I could see Adam Fox getting it and being like a specialist type you know one of those guys who quarterbacks a power play but doesn't do a whole lot outside of that 
I'm thinking of guys uh, like Nick Letty or Will Butcher. Uh, maybe he's got a little more to offer than either of those guys, but I, I would just be concerned. Like, if I want to get maximum fantasy value out of whoever's in that spot, I'm hoping Jacob Truba gets it. Uh, but no, I'm not sure he's going to be there. Uh, but I do like him regardless because he's a very solid five-on-five player, puts up good peripherals. Uh, so I like him uh, to, absolutely to pick him where he's ranked by Yahoo at, what is it, 123rd overall? 123rd, yeah. Ridiculous. And I'm not that worried. I guess I'm not as worried as you. I don't think Adam Fox is going to be on the top power play. But we'll wait. For now, let's just assume it's Truba, and we'll let you know in a future episode of Keeping Carlson if we hear anything. Or follow us on Twitter, at Keeping Carlson. I'll be the first to tweet or retweet if we're seeing any news that Truba's not on the top power play. I promise. Uh, okay, so I'm ready to go to a couple forwards now. Or I'll do one more forward, and that's going to take me to the top 150. Then you could jump in here. But at 116, we've got Jonathan Taves. Brian, he's the lowest-ranked player that we both projected in the Almanac to go for over 70 points. You projected 74, which actually kind of surprised me as you've been like, kind of saying forever that you only see Taves as around a 60-65 point guy. You were like, yeah, everyone reaches for Taves all the time. I think he's fine, but not like so amazing. Clearly, his 81-point season last year convinced you otherwise. And am I right to assume that you take him ahead of some centers that are ranked higher than him, like Jack Hughes, Barzal, Ryan Nugent Hopkins? Yeah, absolutely. I'll take Taves ahead of them. Look, I surprised myself to project Jonathan Taves for 74 points this year. I was really sad to see one of the more predictable skaters of the last few years suddenly go out and do something that we definitely did not predict when Taves went out and scored on an 81-point pace. Uh, His power play time was a big factor in that he'd never seen as high a share of his team's power play time in his entire career than he did in 2018-19. That helped Taves to 23 power play points. That's a 10-year high in that category for him. And then uh, Taves also saw an increase in his 5-on-5 ice time. He saw almost 15 minutes a night, and that was the second highest average time on ice at 5-on-5 in his entire career. And during those 5-on-5 minutes, Taves saw better on-ice goals rates uh, than he's used to seeing, the best he's seen since 2013-14. And funny enough, that's when Taves had last broken a 70-point pace. So you add up those extra power play minutes, those extra 5-on-5 minutes, and Taves officially set a new career high in time on ice per night in his age 30 season, which was a trend in the league last year, for whatever reason, these guys 30 years old and up suddenly being leaned on more than they ever had, even in their peak years. Uh, So it was really nice that Taves got to be reunited with Kane a lot at five on five and reestablish himself on the power play. And I kind of see that continuing. He also saw shot percentage regression uh, to a place where it had been four years prior, uh, like in a pretty steady way. So it's funny because it went down for three years and we assumed that was the new Jonathan Taves. But I kind of wonder if, you know, he was able to get better quality chances because he was playing more with Patrick Kane than he had in a long time. So yeah, I am very high on Jonathan Taves and I think he's going to be a steal. I remember in our first slow draft, I think it was before I had really done my research on him in the almanac he was just sitting at the top and everybody was just skipping over him like he had great numbers last year and i was like oh no he's not going to do it again by the second or third slow draft we were doing this summer elon i was very ready and very excited when i could grab jonathan taves uh later than i probably should have been able to yeah, so there you go. Remember that for your drafts, people. Go get Jonathan Taves in a late round. Uh, so, Brian, that gets me up to my 150. Do you want to jump in and give me your 100 to 150 players that you think are ranked strangely? Okay, here we go. Uh, first off, 
Antti Ranta is ranked 104th. He's ranked the 17th overall goalie, which, you know, now that I look at it, remember at the start of the episode, I talked about all the tandemy guys who were not, or how there was no tandemy guy in the top 15 or so outside of Tuka Rask. I think Ranta is probably the first tandemy guy uh, to be ranked beyond Tuka Rask. So maybe that's where he belongs because we don't know what kind of challenge Darcy Kemper is going to pose to him. So I rescind that. Auntie Ranta seems ranked fairly reasonably. Um, about 105th and 108th overall, we have Jack Hughes and Capo Caco. First, I think they're in the wrong order, uh, except I guess Caco might not land on the top line with Zibanejad. And if he doesn't, uh, that would be very concerning. Because, uh, Elon, we talked how uh, Zibanejad was learning Finnish to talk to Kako on the ice. Mm-hmm. But then just recently, we got word that Buchnevich might be practicing on the top line with Zibanejad and Panarin. So we don't know where Kako's going to land. And the difference between him and Hughes is that Hughes is probably going to be okay wherever he lands in the top six. Kako, I don't know we can say the same thing. But regardless of them being in the wrong order, you look at the guys behind them as established and pretty reliable options. You've got Jeff Skinner underneath Hughes and Kako, Braden Shen, Jonathan Taves, Mike Hoffman, uh, Ricard Raquel. I could go on. You get my point. Why would I reach on a rookie when I can happily grab a guy who I can expect to get me at least 65 points, hopefully more than 70? Yeah, I totally agree. Like these rookies, the reason to draft them, I think, would be to hope they have a really hot start and then try to trade them uh, before maybe they hit a rookie wall at some point. Like Elias Pettersson last year is a good example. Someone who started red, red hot, and then he did slow down a bit at the end. So maybe something like that could happen. And like you said, Brian, there's obviously line considerations. Uh, and yeah, if Kako goes to the second line, like, it wouldn't be so terrible. You'd have Chris Kreider there. If the So yeah, you're re- referencing a practice line that we saw come out like today or yesterday of Buchnevich playing with Panarin and Zibanejad. So yeah, that would move Kako maybe to line two with, I don't know who's going to center that line. We'll have to talk about that later. I was like, maybe like a Philip Heedle or Ryan Strom, like who knows. But then like Chris Kreider, who's pretty good. So it wouldn't be terrible. Similar to like, I guess if Jack Hughes is on the second line with someone like Gusev and I don't know, Jesper Bratt. So either way, I'm 100% with you. Give me Jeff Skinner. Give me Mike Hoffman, someone who I know is going to be great, has played a full season. Don't have to worry about them learning the ropes or anything like Ricard Raquel. Yeah, totally with you there. Okay, here's a goalie that I won't rescind after mentioning him as being ranked too low. Devin Dubnik, ranked 127th overall. He's the 20th ranked goalie. Does not belong there. Uh, he's behind three tandemish guys in Varlamov, Longvist, and Antti Ranta. And then he's behind someone like Martin Jones, who like plays you know, a pretty heavy workload too, but is not as well protected as Devin Dubnik. We talked a lot on our show last week with Dom Lucician about how Devin Dubnik uh, plays for the Wild, and they give him consistently better protection than just about any other goalie in the league. Plus, they have nobody to back him up. They just have Alex Stalock. So it's going to be Dubnik, 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 Dubnik. And if your league likes volume in goalie starts, there you go. And if your league likes save percentage, well, his floor is kind of protected because of how well the Wild play in front of him. So as a workhorse with great defense in front of him, I think Devin Dubnik should be going sooner than the 20th goalie drafted. 
Yeah, another thing I'll mention about him is his overall number last year of 913 save percentage, which first of all was his lowest in his past five seasons. So you'd think maybe he'll be able to bounce back just because like how did he fall so bad? Also, if you look at his quarterlies on the season, he was a 925 save percentage guy in the first quarter. He was a 920 save percentage guy in the last quarter of the season. So like he still had great stretches. He just kind of stunk in the middle. And I wonder if Minnesota getting like Matt Dumba back, you know, hopefully that'll help just settle things, stabilizing they had the that injury also Miko Koivu I think we talked about this with Dumb Lucision actually yeah how Miko Koivu getting injured may have uh, hurt things as well so I definitely agree with you Brian I think that Dubnik is a pretty good bet to at least get back to like 915 916 save percentage a lot of games which should hopefully help him get a decent amount of wins so yeah that's crazy that he's so low big mistake big mistake Yahoo I gave you all those compliments before now you're making me look dumb <laughs> yeah, you blew it. Uh, and then in another few goalies, I'll just rhyme off. A reason that you don't need to reach for Ben Bishop right off the top. 146, David Riddick. A few spots later, Petr Morazic. A few spots later, Jacob Markstrom. And then you've got Corey Schneider and Mackenzie Blackwood. One or two or three or four. Well, not four, because it's going to be Schneider or Blackwood. Oh, but then it could still be four, because I've mentioned five with the both Devils tandem guys. Anyway, all four of these guys could hit, right? If you want to take a little risk with your goalies, and I did in many of the slow drafts that we did, I was able to get Mrazek at pretty great value, uh, assuming that he's going to get at least most of the starts for a very good Carolina Hurricanes team this season. So yeah, that's just uh, something you could do instead of reaching for goalies early. Elon, you have anything to say about that? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, all these goalies come with risk, right? Like, all of them have backups that could challenge, and that's why I could see why, like, Yahoo has them lower ranked. I actually did have a draft yesterday, like I said, and this is actually a league that really values goalies like crazy. It's called a PHL Puck Hogs League, and... Like, there was, like, 15 goalies drafted out of the first 25 picks. Like, it was insane. So, like, I had, uh, in my second round pick, I took Devin Dubnik because I had to get someone. And I this league actually also values goalies who play a lot. Then I waited a couple rounds. I got Henrik Lundqvist, who actually, you know, I wonder if Henrik Lundqvist is someone who we won't, you know, we don't have on our list as being ranked incorrectly. But I think a lot of people assume he's, like, kind of done. But the Rangers are looking like a much better team this year. We just talked about Truba coming in. So I think Lundqvist might still have something left. I saw a quote from him on Roto World this weekend saying how he, th- he thinks that he's going to be good again. So for whatever that's worth... <laughs> <laughs> to you. <laughs> Book it. <laughs> Then, you know, a lot of goalies got taken. I was actually thinking of grabbing Schneider. I've talked about how I kind of like the idea of Schneider bouncing back a little bit, but he got taken. And then I was waiting and waiting. At some point, I was like, okay, fine. I'm just going to take Mackenzie Blackwood. Even though I've been saying on the podcast, I think Schneider's going to end up being the starter. I'm not like that confident. And I think there's a very good chance Schneider gets injured. And if you could get Mackenzie Blackwood super late, then if Schneider continues to Schneider, if he continues to do what he's done for the past couple of seasons, all of a sudden you could have a starting goalie on a really good team. It could be kind of like what happened with uh, like Carter Hart last year or Binnington a little bit. And then, uh, uh, I, you also mentioned Morazic. His backup, James Reimer, I got in the very last round. And again, Morazic's going in as the starter, but we've never really seen Petr Morazic, or maybe in his rookie season, we saw him put together a full good season of consistent play. Even last year, like he was a bit up and down. He was strong at the end, but he also was sharing the net with Curtis McElhenney. So like, don't forget about James Reimer, but still, like, I agree that Morazic at 152, if you need a goalie, pretty good, because Carolina should be a really great team. So yes. Now- Sorry, I'm so eager to jump in. I didn't mean to, to step on your toes there. Okay, um, not about that. Just to mention my last uh, my last bargains. I think in the 150 range, uh, Anthony Mantha. I guess like we're you know there's there's just some guys who have this buzz quality, right? Whose names get dropped over and over on the shows that we're doing leading into uh, everyone's fantasy draft dates. Anthony Mantha is one of those guys, and he's not 
very hyped on Yahoo, ranked 145th overall. He and actually Max Domi, uh, a few spots ahead, are a couple of 65, 70-point wingers that I'd be so happy to have to pick from at this point in the draft because they're ranked behind a a bunch of guys who you know, maybe 60, 65 point players. Uh, you know, I, I, I'd have Mantha, Domi, and maybe even Raquel next after Skinner, who's like 50 spots ahead of, Ma- or 40 spots ahead of Anthony Mantha. And I would definitely have them far ahead of Chris Kreider, who's just four spots behind Mantha in Yahoo's rankings. Yeah, I definitely agree. It seems like the whoever made this list hates the Detroit Red Wings, like, right? Because you talked about Dylan Larkin being 85th. Now you mentioned Mantha all the way down at 145. I'm actually going to get to a bunch more Red Wings that are still way down the list uh, around the 200 level. Uh, but first, let's go. So now I'll go back to my side guys who are ranked below 150 and i'm still gonna be throwing some like good names at you so that's just to show that uh, show up to your snake draft prepared and ready to get some of these guys at value 151 you've got vincent trocek he's the 47th center and guys ahead of him who i think trocek might be better than especially if your league is a multi-category league that really reward his peripherals you know the hits the shots so guys ranked ahead of him dylan strome william carlson paul stasny Dubois. Like, I think in a lot of formats, Vincent Trocek is going to be worth a lot more than these guys. Like, last year, yeah, he only had 34 points in 55 games overall, so it was a stinker of a year, considering what people were expecting from him. Like, going into last season, in certain multi-category formats, people were looking at Trocek as one of, like, the best guys, right, after his 2017-18 season. Last year, it wasn't that great, but do you know what? If you, if you look at it a little closer, Trocek started really strong. He had 14 points in his first 18 games. Then he had that really scary injury, and he came back, and yeah, he wasn't as good. He didn't get back on the top power play but i wonder now with a summer and then like a training camp to like reestablish himself like why not maybe consider him as a good bet to get somewhat back to those great 2017-18 numbers so yeah 151 if you're in a multi-category league like the yahoo standard league that counts shots and hits what a steal for vincent chocek i think like we both projected him for low 60s so we're already thinking of him as a bounce back candidate and here that would even be a good deal even if he just hits that yeah, absolutely a bounce back candidate. If you believe in Trocek also being able to up his shooting percentage again this year, then he's a real great value uh, outside the top 150. The thing with Trocek is that his five on five shooting percentages have been very strange over the course of his career. We have yet well, you tell me if you can hear a pattern here. His first full season was in 2014-15. So starting there and moving to now, he had a 7.5% shooting percentage, then 15.5%, then 10%, then 5%, then 5% again in 18-19. Do you see a trend? Mm, 5%. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, yeah, so we have two 5% in a row, but that's abnormally low for a centerman in the NHL. So I would hope that Trocek can bounce back there. And the thing is, he has such great shot volume that even making it 6% next year is worth almost another three goals to him. So it's hard not to think that Trocek, you know, can't get a little more luck on his side and could pace for another five or 10 more goals than the said 15 goals that Trocek did track for in 18-19. Of course, I am still concerned about his power play time that limits him uh, from not being the 75-point player he was able to be. But I still think, as you mentioned, Elon, he can get to 60 even if he doesn't get that top power play time for the whole season. I'm hoping he can still get occasional turns on it. But yeah, his shot 
shots are amazing. His hits are amazing. His faceoffs are amazing, uh, if your league counts those. And I expect some positive shooting percentage regression from him, too. Yeah. I mean, we've got a new coach, right? Joel Quenville. So maybe he likes Trocek on the top power play. So maybe you can kind of throw out what happened at the end of last season where he was bounced off of it. Okay, keeping going down the list. Ugh, I don't want to do this, Brian, but Yahoo is kind of forcing my hand a bit by putting Oscar Clefbaum down at 160. I think he's kind of low, and I'm tired of telling people that I'm into Clefbaum only for him to disappoint me and make me look dumb. But, you know, you've got guys like Ryan Ellis, uh, Eckholm, Ekblad... Oh, Ekholm and Ekblad. I never considered that those two, because they're kind of similar in terms of their fantasy upside, right? Matthias Ekholm and Aaron Ekblad, and they both start with X. So I don't know if there's something to do with anything. Uh, you know, Quinn Hughes, all these guys are ahead of Clefbaum, but Clefbaum is still looking like he's going to be the top power play defenseman on Edmonton. I just saw a tweet today saying the Oilers were running a top power play with Clefbaum and RNH on the blue line, Dreisaitl in the bumper spot, McDavid on the wall, and Chiasan net side, net front. So once again, they're going to try Clefbaum there. I actually tweeted about this, and then right away, Chris Vossel, like responded being like, yeah, until he gets injured, which is true. He'll probably get injured at some point. At least that's what we've seen from him in the past few years. But for now, if like we're falling to like 160 in my draft and guys like Ekholm and Ekblad are getting drafted, I'm definitely going to just go and grab Oscar Clefbaum and hope that he can help me for as long as he can before he gets hurt, right? Like, yeah, 28 points in 61 games last year, but he's still good also for peripherals. You know, he takes a lot of shots. He blocks a decent amount. So he's good. And by the way, since we're talking about Oilers defensemen, I don't know what Yahoo was thinking putting Darnell Nurse at 243. That's crazy. Like, right, you projected him to fall from his 41 points last year to 35, but you must also think that that's way too far of a drop, right? So they're really, like I said, they, dis- they don't like the Red Wings. They also don't like Oilers defensemen. They hate Oilers defensemen because beyond Clefbaum and beyond Darnell Nurse, you have to go down to, okay, how can I frame this? The eighth lowest ranked defenseman out of 277, ranked 269th, is Caleb Jones, who we've talked about as having an outside shot of getting on the top power plane while you're like, okay, fine, whatever, Brian. They don't need to rank him higher just because he might have a shot. There's a bunch of guys who are definitely not going to see NHL time uh, ranked ahead of Caleb Jones. So whatever. That's probably just some quirk. They don't know who Caleb Jones is, maybe. But Clefbaum... I've been looking for reasons to not believe in him after he disappoints year after year after year. I still haven't found them, though. Like, he was... Okay, he wasn't a 45-point player last year, but he wasn't that far off. He finished with a pace of about 38 points, and that's because he got booted off the top power play after having been injured, which, you know, isn't the worst way to be wrong. It's not like he stunk on the power play and got booted off. He just, like got hurt, and was not given his spot back. So I'm hopeful that Clefbaum can hold that role for most or even all of the season. Uh, Even if he doesn't, I still think 40-45 points is a reasonable place for him to land. And Clefbaum has fantastic peripherals. Uh, He's got two blocks a game almost, and very good shot rates for a defenseman, grabbing between two and three shots per game. So these are good numbers, even if Clefbaum is not living up to his actual scoring upside, which is why I agree with you, Elon, that he is ranked low by Yahoo. Yeah, Alex in the chat room here is asking us to shout out Joel Pearson. This is the same Alex who was telling us uh, like earlier in the summer that Ty Smith, I think is his name, on New Jersey is going to be a challenger to P.K. Subban for the top power play. Did I get that name right? Ty Smith? 
Yes. Okay, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, Alex loves these uh, defensemen coming out of nowhere. And yeah, Joel Pearson is someone that also Dom brought up. Yeah, Edmonton might be trying him on the power play as well. So yes, nothing's guaranteed for Clefbaum. Today, for what it's worth, he was playing in like on the blue line on the power play. Okay. Uh, so and then if I'm saying that Clefbaum is too low at 160, I guess Sam's got to go for Shane Gossesbeher at 168, right? Like again, like just like Clefbaum, he stunk last year. But unlike Clefbaum, uh, Gossesbeher had a 68-point pace just the season before, so definitely a great guy to get just for the upside down at 168. That's crazy. Who's taking Matthias Ekholm or Aaron Ekblad like ahead of Shane Gossesbeher? I have that exact question, right? Like, Gossesbeher is far from a sure thing, and he's proven to be somewhat unreliable, uh, Like, but his upside is massive, and you look at the guys ahead of him, Ekholm, Ekblad, Provorov, their point scoring upside is kind of like Gosses Bear's floor, right? I'm expecting Gosses Bear to get 40, 45 points regardless of whether his season goes really well or really awful. Uh, so give me Gosses Bear ahead of those guys. Like if people draft according to Yahoo ranks in a lot of the leagues I, I enter, then Gosses Bear is going to be on like all of my teams. Yeah, definitely reasonable. Alex is saying now, like, whoa, 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 I said Smith might challenge. Fair Alex, I'm trying to set you up in the hero role that if Ty Smith turns out to get that job, you're going to look really smart. So I don't know. I thought I'd take a swing for you. Okay, uh, so next, uh, what are I'm, I'm at here? I said 168 for Gosses Beher. Another defenseman that I think is way low. So this is like a great chance to get D this year. Like Alex Edler at 172. Holy moly, 50-point pace last year. Yeah, Quinn Hughes is great, but maybe it'll take a year for him to play as like the number two defenseman on the team before overtaking Edler. Plus, you've got to love Edler's shots, hits, blocks. Great value. You might say, yeah, he's injury prone. But again, Brian, like we always say, if you're good at fantasy hockey, and if you're in like a head-to-head league, take the guy that's going to help you when he's in the lineup. And then when he's injured, use the opportunity to have some fun with free agents, try to replace him while he's in the IR. Like if you're in a league that has IR spots, I wouldn't worry too much. You just got to hope that Edler's there for you in your fantasy playoffs when you need him most. And yeah, there is the chance that he gets bumped from the top power play, but at 172, like you got to get him. I drafted him in my draft last year, super late. Uh, and I'm really happy happy to have him it's like great value this late for sure totally so i let me just ask you a question because i 100 percent agree on edler's peripherals are golden in addition to the point production while he's on the top power play in terms of being threatened i know i'm not even going to include makar uh because i know how you feel about him uh what do you think between truba and edler for who's most likely to hold that top power play role down all season long with rookie challengers behind them. Yeah, I would say Truba's more likely to hold it than Edler because Quinn Hughes was drafted super high and has a super high pedigree and everyone knows that that's his job like at some point for sure. It's just a matter of when. Like Adam Fox has really come out of nowhere, right? He wasn't even drafted high. He was like a side piece in a couple of trades to finally land on the Rangers. And now like, yeah, he had one good year last year and now people are saying he might have a shot, but like, I don't know. Like, I think that Truba is a really established guy and he's a lot younger than Edler. So yeah, I think that's a pretty easy question, but maybe not because I think you disagree. Um, You know, I think... I don't know. I, th- I It's hard for me to say. I think Edler is still... I, I, I Oh my gosh, I'm having trouble here. Hughes is kind of like the Dalene to Edler's Ristolainen, right? And we've actually made this comparison before, just in terms of, you know, there is a guy there who can do a, a fine job on the top power play, and Alex Edler, who we've seen, we know what we're going to get. And then there's a guy with this unknown upside who... Like, is going to be, like you said, handed the reins one day 
It's just when will that day come? So I like for me, I'd rather have Alex Edler for the first two months of the season. And then at some point, I'd like to have Quinn Hughes. Like last year, I was able to pick up Rasmus Dahlin in free agency in a couple of days because there was a stretch where he wasn't seeing a lot of opportunity and he wasn't producing when he did get it. And that's when a lot of impatient owners dropped him and I was able to benefit from his hot runs towards the end of the season. So I feel like I could see a similar trajectory happening in Vancouver, although I do feel a little more confident in Alex Edler holding the job all year. But if Quinn Hughes is in the NHL, what else is he there for than to, you know, get the power play one reign sooner rather than later? So yeah, I think he's a bit more of a threat to Edler than Fox and D'Angelo are to Truba. Yeah. Also, I think, uh, tell me, Brian, if I'm wrong here, I think we maybe are putting too much stock on the top power play. And so, like what you just said about how like if Quinn Hughes is in the NHL, why not put him on the top power play? Like I think that there's room for multiple players to be valuable to their teams and to fantasy. Like obviously you're going to agree that like multiple players be value- valuable to their teams, but it reminds me again of that Tyson Barry conversation. Like I think if Quinn Hughes is on the second power play and getting a lot of even strength time, that's like a very good reason to be in the NHL and they'll help the Canucks go far and Hughes could learn some lessons. And by the way, Alex Edler, he's going to get injured at some point. So Quinn Hughes will get lots of shots on the top power play. The question, I could even see it going kind of like, you know, like Edler's going to start it, then he'll get injured. Hughes will be there. And then the big question will be when Edler comes back, whether Hughes has like earned the spot for keeps or if Edler takes it back. So we'll probably be having this exact conversation on keeping Carlson at some point during the season. Can't wait. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let me do another defenseman in this run. I can't. They just keep jumping out at me. Josh Morrissey at 178. That's the 44th ranked defenseman. So he's on Winnipeg. He had 31 points in 59 games last year. That's a 43-point pace already. That was on a team with Truba and Tyler Myers. They're gone now. Neil Pionk is there in their place. Uh, now Morrissey's going to have to take on a bigger role, especially with Dustin Bufflin's leave of absence. We don't know what's going on with that. And even if Bufflin's back for the start of the season, we know that he's injury prone as well, just kind of like with Edler. So I feel like Josh Morrissey should be able to at least keep up that 43 point pace from last year, if not exceeded. I actually, I actually projected him for 47 this year. You had him a little bit lower. Do you remember why you weren't as into Josh Morrissey as me? Uh, well, I wasn't that not into him, right? I put him at 41 points with upside for times when Bufflin does get hurt or go missing, and Morrissey is likely the one to replace him. Although, let's not forget Neil Pionk is in the picture, too, and the Jets are probably going to want to give him some opportunities to succeed, especially because they traded away Jacob freaking Truba to get him, and I feel like they're going to want to try and justify that to their fan base uh, throughout the year. Uh, I like Morrissey, but I just don't know he's going to get a bump in deployment now that Truba's gone. Um, You know, he saw more time on the power play and penalty kill last season, but he's still behind Dustin Bufflin for the the near future, right? They both play on the same side. Uh, So, I just don't see a lot of room for him to grow unless Bufflin does go somewhere else, like gets traded or gets hurt or continues just to be away from the team for whatever reason. Uh, But I am excited for Morrissey once he gets that opportunity. I just don't know if that opportunity is going to come this year. Yeah, that's fair. I still like him better than the ex, Ekblad, Ekholm, (laughs) Joel Erickson, Ek. I think I'd rather take Morrissey over those guys. Okay, 179. Uh, Alex in the chat room is being like, these are not deep enough to be excited. I know, people in deep leagues are like, these guys aren't sleepers. These guys are owned in my deep keeper league like for years now. But we're going to keep going down the list. We're going to get into the 200s, 300s. We'll get some deep cuts for all of you. Uh, 179, Zach Parise. 
Uh, 44th left wing behind guys like Ehlers, Jaden Schwartz, JT Miller, JVR, Brady Kachuk. Uh, Zach Friese paced well ahead of all of these guys I just mentioned last year with 61 points in 74 games. That's a 68-point pace. He's another guy I got in my draft yesterday. So maybe I'm just like trying to get Brian to tell me that I did a good job in my draft by bringing up all the players I thought I got as good value. But yeah, I got Parisi actually at 199. So 179, maybe that's more fair value. But still, Brian, I'm just curious to know, do you think that he can repeat what he did last season again? Or does he actually belong with these guys that I just mentioned? Ehlers, Schwartz, Miller, JVR, Brady Kachuk, many of whom we expect to get better while Zach Parisi is, you know, older and a little injury prone. So maybe it makes sense to not expect him to do as well. You know, I don't think it's completely unreasonable to have him where Yahoo has him. But, you know, I searched to find a reason why Zach Parisi could not repeat his 68-point pace that he put up last season. And I had a really hard time finding anything aside from age. Like, he had a really fantastic year by all accounts last season. He posted four-year highs in his point-scoring rates. And everything else kind of stayed the same as it had been in previous seasons, except he had more primary assists, which was the highest it had been in a decade by a fair amount. So, you know, that's where he was able to to contribute to these uh, four-year high in, in his point rates. And then on the power play, you know, Zach Crazy was just a consistent guy. So I, I think what we saw last year that Parisi has been playing this way all along and he'd been tripped up by variants here and there over the last couple seasons to keep him from reaching this what seems like a somewhat sustainable 65 68 point pace to me he also got a little more ice time last season too which helped and I expect that to continue into this season for him to hold on to those extra seconds and almost minutes that he added to his numbers so uh so yeah I still really like Zach Parisi this year to be a guy who could touch 70 points and that puts him ahead of the other names you mentioned like Brady Kachuk good for hits right? Like there there are reasons that you could go with some of the other names you mentioned. I'm trying to, can you name them again? Elon, you had Ehlers, Schwartz, JT Miller, JVR. Yeah, I'd have Parisi ahead of all those guys. He is the only no doubt top line, top power play guy amongst that group. And so, uh, so I'll be very happy to take him after those guys are gone. Yeah, well, Brady Kachuk is top line, top power play, but on Ottawa. So oh, yeah, I meant the other four. Yeah, Adam M. in the chat room, Brian, saying four-year high entering his age 35 season. No thanks. So how do you respond to yeah. that? He just got spat in the face by Adam M. <laughs> I think he, like, I don't think last year was the weird year. I think the years before that were the weird years. And I owned Parisi last year, and I had a lot of, you know, trade talks surrounding him where I'm like, oh, yeah, I got to sell high on Parisi. But there were a lot of times where I could not pull the trigger because I couldn't find the unsustainable piece of his numbers. And I took the summer to look at it too. Still could not find the unsustainable piece. So look, maybe 68 is a little high, especially because we are expecting some age-related aggression. But I think it's very reasonable to expect 65 points from Parisi. Yeah, fair. And even if not, he's great for shots, right? So in some leagues, you know, he's helping you in multiple categories and left wing, like we said. Okay, uh, I got Ryan Pulak here at 180. I'm kind of getting tired of talking about all these defensemen who are falling. So yeah, another defenseman that could 
should be really valuable that you could get late. I like Pulak for not only point potential, if you could ever get on that freaking top power play, but also shots and blocks. So he's really good. Uh, how about Ryan Getzlaff down at 184? People might think we're talking, like this is like the episode of us talking about old players, because I know we talked about Parise <laughs> and before that we talked about Edler. But yeah, Getzlaff at 184. So he's behind for centers. He's behind Galchenyuk, uh, Schmaltz, Rupe Hints. I don't know why A, he has center eligibility and also why he's ranked at 161. Uh, Ryan Johansson. Uh, all these guys are ahead of Ryan Getzlaff. Last year was rough for Getzlaff, for sure. 48 points in 67 games. But the previous two seasons, he pays for over 80. Plus he hits and blocks. Not many forwards block. And Ryan Getzlaff does. Uh, he's not great for shots. So definitely you have to take that into account. But Brian, do you think that Getzlaff has any juice left? Or is it finally time for him to start fading and guys like Raquel, Steele, Kasha, Troy Terry, etc. just take over as the main stars on the Ducks and actually 184 is a fair ranking for Getzlaff? For what it's worth, by the way, I saw a tweet saying Troy Terry started camp with Getzlaff and Troy Terry is ranked at 814. So if you think that Getzlaff is good and if you think that tweet is going to hold, then uh, Troy Terry might also be good value at 814. Yeah, so there might be some good late draft value there with Troy Terry. And I think Getzlaff is great value at, what was it, 194 or wherever. Like, he is being underrated because of how bad last season was for all of the Anaheim Ducks. Like, I could rhyme off a hundred ways in which they were the worst or almost the worst team in the NHL last year. And that sunk all of them, including Ryan Getzlaff, who, look, we're not sure how he fits into the Ducks' future plans. You have Dallas Akins coming on to coach, which, by the way, is great because they have someone who has, you know, thought of something, had new thoughts about hockey this decade compared to Randy Carlyle, who was just uh, sinking the ship in Anaheim. Uh, so that's great, except Dallas Akins also has... I, some pre-existing relationships with someone like Sam Steele, who maybe he will ask to center the top line, or at least try to center the top line instead of Ryan Getzlaff. But no one is more capable of that role this season in Anaheim than Ryan Getzlaff. So I still think he's going to have a pretty integral role to Anaheim's success. And I think that Getzlaff is going to do better. Like, the power play is going to be better. Even strength, they're going to be better. They're not going to spend so much time on the penalty kill. Like, this is not so much about Getzlaff as it is about all of Anaheim. Anaheim. And you'll see that when you look at where Cam Fowler is also ranked as a defenseman. He's way, way, way down. So uh, a lot of Ducks, Ricard Raquel also ranked too low. Kasha, like these are guys who, by the way, I picked up last season. I've mentioned this a few times. I'm, I traded for them. I thought I was buying low and then they sunk like a stone after I did acquire them. So I regretted it then, but I am still willing to take a shot on these guys to have a reasonably normal season for the scoring production now that I expect the Ducks to have righted the ship to some extent with this coaching change and bringing Dallas Aikens aboard and also bringing some fresh talent up. That's nice. Yeah, for sure. They should be an interesting team. Uh, we haven't mentioned it, but John Gibson should have a bounce back season, I would expect. Well, he was actually great for a big stretch of last year, but I like him if he's falling a bit in drafts, especially because I love Anaheim's off-day schedule. We talk about that a lot. Uh, okay, so Brian... Now let's go, since we've been talking about all these older players, uh, Alex is saying this has been the retirement home edition of Keeping Carlson for the past little while, but let's go to some young guys. Let's go to those Red Wings that I was talking about that I think are ranked way too low. In the 190 to 200 range, we have at 190, Tyler Bertuzzi, then 191, Andreas Athanasiu, and 192, Philip Hironik. So three wings in a row, and then down at 200, you have Mike Green. And okay, so the first three had pretty decent seasons, right? Like Bertuzzi, 53-point pace, 
Athanasiu, 58-point pace. Heronic, 41-point pace. But if you just look at the end of the year, these three ended the season especially hot. Like, Bertuzzi and Athanasiu both had 15 points in their last 19 games, which is like a 65-point pace. Then you have Philip Heronic, who had 16 points in his last 28 games when Mike Green was injured. That's a 47-point pace. So these are guys that took advantage. You know, like, Bertuzzi got on the top line after Nyquist was gone. Uh, Athanasiu was on the top power play and centering the second line. So, you know, you expect these guys' role to improve than what it was for most of last year and I think that you could the end season pace is actually more representative of what we should start to expect for next year so if you could get these guys so late down around 200th overall that's pretty good and Mike Green so I don't even think people realize this he only played half the season but when he played 26 points in 43 games it's a 50 point pace so I almost feel like Mike Green's a guy draft he'll for sure get injured and then get Philip Heronix somehow and you're golden to have a 40 plus maybe even 50 point defenseman on your team so I don't know like the wings are probably not gonna be great next year but at the same time I wouldn't mind having a few of these guys on my team along with Mantha and Larkin who also you could have gotten as great value uh, earlier In the slow drafts we did this summer, there was one team where I think two-thirds of my team, uh, they belong to the Detroit Red Wings, the Anaheim Ducks, or the LA Kings. Like, I just thought all these guys were great bargains. And, like, the guys you mentioned in Detroit, Bertuzzi, Adnesio, Ronick, Mike Green, uh, and Anthony Mantha, who we mentioned earlier, yeah, all of them are being looked at in these default rankings and and it's bearing out in the ADP as guys whose entire seasons, you know, what they managed was all they managed when the headline that you mentioned, which we need to focus on, is they all ended really strong. And in most cases, their deployment had changed about halfway or three quarters through the year. And that's when they were able to start getting opportunities and taking advantage of them. So now we're going to see a full season of that. And while maybe Tyler Bertuzzi uh, is not going to score on like the 70 point pace that he had over the last 20 odd games of last season, He's still going to be a player, right? Same with Athanasiu and Philip Ronick, Mike Green. They're both sort of limited because I think they'll be contending for time on the top power play, but they both have potential. So yeah, I could absolutely see myself ending up with too many Red Wings and too many Ducks and maybe too many Kings, although it'll, it'll most I, I have the most faith in the Red Wings players and Ducks players being ranked too low. So uh, great teams to find some value on. Wait, what Kings are you getting aside from Kopitar? Jeff Carter. Oh, God. Okay. Yeah. Oh, Andrew Doughty. Sure. Yeah, Doughty's good. If you have Jeff Carter, then yeah, you have too many Kings, I think. Oh, and Kovalchuk. Kovalchuk, maybe. Kovalchuk you take as like your last round like, guy. Yeah, these are deeper guys. Like if I had to rank, you know, which group I wanted the most, I think I'd say the Detroit group and then the Anaheim group and then the LA group. Yeah, that sounds about right. By the way, I wanted to... Actually, maybe the Anaheim group first. Sure. Go for it. It's close. I actually wanted to comment on one of the comments you made about the Anaheim group. You were saying Cam Fowler fell. I should point out, this is all rumors and speculation, but word is after Carolina signed Jake Gardner, there were rumors that Anaheim might be in play to trade for Justin Falk, which might get Falk onto the top power play in Anaheim, which would make Cam Fowler lose value. So whatever, like something just to keep in mind if you're going to reach for Cam Fowler, that something like that could happen so whatever. All right. So Brian, that's it for my uh, 150 to 200. So why don't you go in and give me your list and then we'll go to the 200 and later ranked guys. So the super deep cuts. 
You know, you hit on most of mine, actually. I'll just throw quickly out there. Patrick Hornquist is ranked 174th. That's five spots ahead of Zach Parisi, also ahead of Nita Ryder and Ryan Getzlaff, who I think uh, all three of those provide more value than Patrick Hornquist, whose deployment is just a huge question mark going into this <laughs> season as someone Pittsburgh seems to be trying to get rid of. Why are you laughing? You're so mean. You so he's ranked 174, and you're like way too high. <laughs> so it's, it's more relative to the other guy who are below him. So maybe I'm not saying he's too high. I'm saying they're too low. Look at it either way. Um, you have Martin Marinson ranked 176th overall. Makes him a bargain. <laughs> who? Uh, and, <laughs> and then just Yahoo's favorite player. He's like, uh, we try and mention him at least once a year, Mathieu Biron, who was like this Habs like eighth ranked defenseman uh, who seemed to always end up in the top 50 in Yahoo year after year. Uh, one guy who I'm surprised you didn't catch, Elon, Sam Reinhardt at 189th overall. He's dual eligible and can get 65, 70 points, could play with Eichel all season. Yes, please, to a top line, top power play guy this late in a draft. It, like, I hope everyone's sleeping on Sam Reinhardt when I'm drafting. Yeah, you're right. That was definitely a miss. That is great value for sure. I will, uh, by the way, maybe defend Patrick Hornquist just a touch. I thought you were going to say Marinson. No, I'm not going to defend Marinson because first I have to know who he is. I know he's on the Leafs. That's probably why. People love the Leafs. Uh, He's barely on the Leafs. You said Tyson Berry's too high. So clearly it's just a bunch of Leafs fans over on (laughs) Yahoo Central. Uh, So Patrick Hornquist, he could land a spot in the top six right? Like to play with Malkin or Crosby, like he's done it before. The last year he did spend a lot of time on the third line, but also he could be on the top power play because Kessel's gone. So then you could say Jake Gensel takes Kessel's spot, and then there's still that spot for Horkvist, unless you're saying that Galchenyuk's going to take the spot, in which case forget about it. But Horkvist obviously is in multi-category leagues. He's still giving you the hits and the shots on goal. So I see a reason to go for him if it's late in your draft and it's the type of player that you're not you're okay with like dropping if they don't work out. There is some upside there. Uh, but okay, yeah, Reinhardt for sure at 189. Top line, top power play most likely. Yum, yum, yum. All right, so I'm going to go into my 200 to 250, I guess. <laughs> okay, and maybe we should uh, pick up the pace a little bit because there are, what, like 1,200 players ranked? And we did, I, like, I know you, I think you did. I went to the very bottom of each position. Brian, don't you dare rush me, okay? <laughs> I'm going to go through each player and say oh my, my piece. <laughs> You could do. You could go shorter on your side. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. Okay, uh, note taken. Two oh three. Kevin LeBanc. He had fifty six points last season from the third line. Gotta assume his deployment improves with Pavelski and Donskoy out of the picture. They were both in the top six on San Jose last year. LeBanc is behind guys like Marcus Johansson, Max Comtois, uh, Jake DeBrusque. I think LeBanc has really nice upside. Some people are going a little too crazy. <laughs> I feel like I've seen people on our Facebook group saying like 70-point LeBanc. I don't know if I'd go that far, but I think it's a decent shot to hit 56 again, maybe get to 60, maybe even a little bit higher. So yeah, I think that if you could get him this late, that's great. Oh, that's where that's where I jump in. Yeah, he had a really great season. We've been sort of flagging him since midway or even the beginning early last season uh, as a player who was great for a stream because he was on the top power play for a bunch of last year and he made so much of that he was just outside the top 25 in power play point scoring rates last season Kevin LeBanc had 20 
power play points with a sub 50% share of team power play time, which is not very common. Think of a guy or guys who we talked about last week, like Dylan Larkin and Artemi Panarin, who were always on the top power play and did not reach 20 power play points last season. Uh, so way to go, Kevin LeBanc, for getting a, somehow a sustainable looking 20 power play points without being a top power play guy uh, for more than half of the season. And uh, his even strength points per 60 rates were also very strong. He pays for 56 points and only had 14 minutes of ice time per game total. He ranked around 60th in five-on-five points per 60 amongst skaters, which puts him right alongside guys like Radulov, Sagan, Taves, Reinhardt, Bertuzzi, Evander Kane, TJ Oshie. Uh, You know, they're all in the same neighborhood. And we believe in that group to be somewhere between like 55 and 75 points. So why not? Kevin LeBanc, who has not, like, he's had limited minutes in the last year or two, and he's done really well with them, especially lately. So we're finally expecting him to get, a like, a meaningful bump in deployment, and I am very hopeful that he is going to deliver with those extra minutes and that San Jose is not going to kneecap him and, like, you know, he signed for a million dollars, and then they're going to be like, okay, you play on line three all year, and we'll get you for three million next year. How about that? Well, I mean, if they put him on line three, who's on line one? Like, Melker Carlson? Like, they, they have to put someone there. Uh, by the way, one of your underrated top comments in the Almanac, I would say, is when you were whining about Kevin LeBanc making so little money, you were like, he has bank in his name, so he should know to ask for more money. Uh, that, that really cracked me up. Uh, okay, so uh, <laughs> 204, uh, Andre Kasha. So we've already talked about the Ducks. Here's another guy. Last year, he only played 30 games, had 20 points before getting hurt. Uh, he started the season late. He was getting over another injury. Then he got hurt again, but word is that he's going to be healthy to start this season. You know what? I'm just going to arbitrarily take away Kasha's first three games and his last three games <laughs> that he played last season. Those were pointless games. I know it's arbitrary, but that means he had a stretch of 20 points in 24 games. That's wild. He was killing it for you if you had him on your fantasy team. And he was putting up like six and seven shot goal games sometimes. So if he could be in your lineup all season, we're looking at a potential like, again, like a 65 point guy. Am I going too crazy here with like a ton of shots on goal? Like, it seems like this could be a steal at 204. Grab, don't let Andre Kasha go undrafted in your league. If he's falling to the 200s, take a chance on him. I think you'll be happy. Brian, I'll throw out another couple names since you wanted to speed up here. And uh, then you could just respond to them all. 206, so just right after, Nikita Gusev. You already know my thoughts. I've done two drafts so far. Got Gusev in both of my leagues. Hoping to get him again in my next draft for the cupful. Uh, then 207, Pavel Buchnevich. And, uh, you know, like that, you would probably think that's probably about right, considering how he's done the last couple of years. But we did mention that he started training camp on the top line with Panarin and Zibanejad. So if that holds and this is like the last round of your draft or around there, why not take a shot on Buchnevich? Because that could be a very sweet spot for him to play in. And we've seen him have runs of success before playing on the top line. And now that this would be a top line with Panarin, right? So the, there could be really nice upside for Pavel Buchnevich. So why let him stay in free agency if you could just take a shot on him, drop him if it's not working out. There's always been such great upside for Pavel Buchnevich. If only he could stay on the top line, which he has failed to do uh, in like across two coaches and two seasons. So uh, like we've all seen the talent and we feel like he can do it, but we just haven't seen him hold on to that spot and he'll be fighting Capo Caco to take that spot. And honestly, if I'm the Rangers, uh, I think I'd rather Kako be the third piece on that top line and have Buchnevich on the second line helping, you know, with his experience drive play a little more, unless Kako is going to be better at 
than that as a rookie. So that's something to watch for. You know, I think they'll place each player in a way that they're like, whoever can contribute more to secondary scoring and help get that second line going, I think is going to end up on the second line. So it's almost like the better player is going to be in a worse deployment situation. <laughs> and I'm not sure who that's going to be in 1920. I think in by 2021, the worst player is going to be Buchnevich. But I'd like to see a little bit of Kako first before absolutely declaring him better than Buchnevich and then and thereby likely to be on the second line rather than the first. Is that thinking backwards? I mean, like, I don't know, Brian. This whole theory is very fun and interesting. I don't know how <laughs> based it is in reality that they're going to do the worst player on the, the first line, but I guess it could happen. Also, like, when you're saying, like, I'll need to see something from Kako first, like, uh, so, you know, there's a lot of NHL scouts who saw something from Kapo Kako and ranked him, you know, so high in the draft. So I think I'm pretty confident that he's going to eventually be better than Pavel Buchnevich. But I, I take your okay. point. In the NHL, I mean, of course. like, I, I expect Kako to be better eventually. It's just, when will that exactly happen? Okay, Andre Kasha, you also mentioned, uh, I'll just echo what you said, loved what we saw from him. He had limited ice time and still averaged more than three shots per game, thanks in part to those six and seven shot games you mentioned. He only played 30 games. Uh, he was second only to Brendan Gallagher in shots per 60 minutes and shot attempts per 60 minutes. And right behind him, a big shooter whose name we know, Timo Meyer. And that's kind of who I'm reminded of with Andre Kasha. We have a huge volume shooter, knows how to be dangerous, and is in line for a bump in minutes. So I'm very excited to see what he has to offer this season. And Gusev, uh, you said we know your thoughts. Well, everyone also knows my thoughts that I am excited for his season this year in Vegas. And I do think he's going to be absolutely worth it if you can somehow draft him in this section of the draft. In fact, Elon, if you don't mind me mentioning, uh, like this whole chunk of the Yahoo rankings from, I have them at 203rd overall to 222nd. So this is like a 20 pick range where you find LeBanc, Kasha, Gusev, Kevin Hayes, David Krejci, Eric Stahl. Like these guys are going to end up in as free agents in some shallow leagues, but absolutely should not be. Uh, like they're amongst Ryan Donato, Marcus Johansson, Max Comtois, Yanni Gore, Jacob Silverberg, uh, yeah, Jacob Vrana, uh, Vitaly Kravtsov. In the Yahoo rankings, this doesn't make sense. Like, you want these bargain guys, LeBanc, Kasha, and company over those guys for sure. Yeah. Like, I would actually have them ahead of Kako and Hughes, who are going 100 spots earlier, according to Yahoo's ranks. Yeah, I'm with you there, for sure. And I guess maybe this is someone's first episode of Keeping Carlson. So a quick reminder, Nikita Gusev led the KHL in scoring last year. He's been one of their top players. Artemi Panarin never led the KHL in scoring. Dadanov never led the KHL in scoring. So we have huge <laughs> upside here. Okay, uh, 214. I don't know if this is a weird ranking, but I feel like we got to talk about him because he just signed a contract. Jake Gardner on the Canes now. Obviously, these Leafs lovers probably just were like Ugh, I don't like him so they put him down at 214 because he wasn't signing a contract with them uh, so yeah now he's on the Canes he had a 40 point pace last season is there any fantasy impact here Brian with Jake Gardner going to Carolina do you think he can do the same as what he did on the Leafs be around a 40 point guy is there any chance he could do better like maybe he could challenge Falk or Hamilton for a significant power play time what are your thoughts in general on Gardner on Carolina I don't see him challenging for power play time I think he's there to to help with some even strength minutes and to be like a, a really reliable, steady top pairing or at worst top four guy. I don't see his offense improving just because, you know, he put up 40 p points playing about the same role in Toronto that I expect him to play in Carolina with 
a team that was probably a little more offensively inclined than Carolina is now. So for that reason, I'm not expecting Jake Gardner to really outdo his point pace. Ah, like, 214th overall depends on your peripherals and whatever, but I'm not, you know, some, he's not someone I'm like, oh yeah, really can't wait for him to drop to me. Yeah, I agree with you. Maybe this is a little low, but nothing, no one to go too crazy over. Uh, then I've got a 224 Elvis Merzlikens. Uh, that's the 35th goalie, and I think he's someone who has a decent shot to win the number one job in Columbus. And if you disagree and you think Eunice Corposalo is actually the guy who has the better chance to win the number one job in Columbus, well, he's down at 570. So <laughs> it, it should be pretty easy for you to get that Columbus tandem at the end of your draft. And who knows how good Columbus will be now that Panarin's out of the picture, but maybe they could be a decent team. And these might be some really good value goalies. Hard to know which one it'll be. I've been saying I think it's going to be Merz Lickens that wins the job because he's been good in, like, what was it, Swiss? This league over the past couple of years. Wow. Yeah, Cor- just like Red O'Bara has. I know, you throw out like one name. It's like how I say Gusev <laughs> led the KHL in scoring and then you could throw out some no name that came second in scoring and I'm like, oh, I guess Gusev sucks. But I'm just saying, Merzlikens has been good and Corposalo has been bad, but that doesn't mean that that's going to follow through to next year. I think they'll both be given a shot. It's just a matter of who plays better. Can't predict the future. But either way, yeah, good value guys <laughs> late in the draft. Could you imagine how great at fantasy hockey you'd be if you could predict the future? If you had that almanac from Back to the Future 2, where you had all the future sports results, would you play fan- Like, I wonder if I would still play fantasy hockey, because I feel like I'd have better, you know, ways to make money. Like, I would go and just bet on games in Vegas and bet, like, you know, $1,000 on a game or whatever. But it would be fun to be in a fantasy league with my friends and just, like, every single pick ends up being, like, the best guy that year, like, and just destroy everyone. That would be a lot of fun. Like, you inexplicably pick up Matthias Ekholm, who has, like, 14 points all season, uh, right right when he goes on, like, the, whatever tear he went on last year, like, 15 points in 16 games, or whatever it was. Like, that, you, you would look so brilliant. And then also I would drop him. He'd be on this amazing run, <laughs> and then out of nowhere I would just drop him, and people would be using all their fab to get him, and then he'll, like, completely fall off right afterwards. It'd be amazing. What a dream. Ah. Uh. Yeah, if I have that almanac, I'm not going to ruin the world like Biff Tannen did. All I'm going to do is win my fantasy leagues in spectacular fashion. (laughs) Uh, So, Brian, after this, I go all the way down to like 633 for the next guy I want to mention. So why don't you fill in the blanks there of people past 200 that you want to talk about that are before 633. Okay, so past 200, we've got Cam Fowler as the 56th ranked defenseman. At number at 223rd overall, that puts him in the free agent pile of most drafts, but he's a good guy to try and nab as like your third or fourth defenseman if nobody else has seen him hiding all the way down there. You've got pretty low risk with Cam Fowler. I think his floor is pretty safe at 40 points and high reward. Uh, he is the power play quarterback in Anaheim, unless of course they acquire Justin Falk, then all bets are off. But for now, he's the guy. So uh, he's someone I'd be very interested in because, like Getzlaff, he just got sunk by all of Anaheim last year. It wasn't his fault. Uh, then continuing down, uh, other good bargains. Top line, Tomas Tatar, 237th overall. Do you want to take me on on top line Tatar? Oh, yeah, in the Almanac, you were all like, actually, Elon, the Philip Deneau line with Tatar and Gallagher was the top line, not the Max Domi line, because if you look at ice time, blah, 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 like, uh, whatever. I, I get what you're saying. I would consider that the second line, but who really cares, right? The point is, Tatar had a great season, and it sounds like you think he could do it again, or even if you don't think he could do it again, like, to that extent, still great value here in the 200s. Brian, also, I'm going to ask you right now, and now since it'll be in the episode, you can't not do it, I want you to use a Back to the Future-inspired episode title name. 
And I, I like what we did in the last episode. We called it Ice Cream Social. People downloaded the episode. were like, what is that about? And then they get to the part where you were making those funny ice cream references and it all made sense. So I, I kind of want to try that out again. Hmm. So this was a, a strange scenario where I actually, believe it or not, had the episode named already. Mm. So if you can send me a great Back to the Future episode title, I will use that instead. But I have a, a one of a kind. I mean, I guess people listening, uh, I, I don't know. Should I share it? I guess they'll already know. They've already downloaded it onto their phone. <laughs> so, okay. If it's not named Marinson Cycle, <laughs> then that would have been the name. Okay. Well, Or Marinson Repeat. That's a good name. That's fair. It's gonna be. It was gonna be named named after Martin Marinson, the one episode a year that possibly could. Yeah, the one episode a year that he gets mentioned on Keeping Carlson. That's fair, though. Uh, that would also kind of meet my requirement of people not knowing why until we get to him. What were we talking about again? Okay, we're talking about people between 200 and 600 <laughs> ranks by Yahoo. So I'm going to run through these, and you can stop me if you have something to say. So 10 spots behind Tatar. I've got Ilya Kovalchuk as someone you might want to take a flyer on, like the guys in Anaheim. Uh, Kovalchuk was sunk by his team and coaching last season. And if everybody has a bounce back, like I'm expecting Kopitar and Doughty to, I think I'm expecting Carter to. Uh, I expect Kovalchuk to thrive as well this season, or at least do better than he did last year. Ten spots after him, you've got Josh Bailey, who Elon, I know he's not your favorite guy, but even like at this place, you have to admit he's a pretty good get. Yeah, I'd expect him to get at least like 60 points if he's going to stick in that top six, have a decent shot at the top power play on the Islanders. Like he's boring in fantasy, like he doesn't give you peripherals. And I don't think he has such a high points upside now that John Tavares is out of the picture. And but still, he might play with Barzal, who we expect to bounce back. So yeah, down here, why not take Josh Bailey? Like I don't expect to see him in free agency in a lot of my leagues. I'd probably pick him up. Okay, and then a few defensemen who like aren't going to set the world on fire, but Jared Spurgeon at 240th and Darnell Nurse at 245th and heck, even Duncan Keith at 278th overall. Uh, these guys could all conceivably quarterback the top power play. It might take an injury for them to get there, but they could do it. And even if they're not doing it, uh, their floors are pretty decent. I guess Keith is the one who doesn't put up peripherals amongst them, but his shot rates are decent. Spurgeon's shot rates are also decent. Nurse fills a couple more categories, so keep these guys in mind if you need some category fillers. Uh, now I'm getting into flyers. You can take a flyer at Fiala at 268, Beauvillier 287, uh, Letty 282, and then beyond 290th overall, here's a whole list of flyers. Not Philadelphia, but guys that you might want to just take a risk on with a late pick in a deep enough league. Connor Sherry, you're going to laugh at all of these, Elon. Nikolai Goldobin, uh, Daniel Sprung, Brandon Saad, Michael Furland at 332 is probably the best of this bunch I'm mentioning. Ryan Dezingle, Brian Rust. Uh, You mentioned, uh, who'd you mention on Pittsburgh? Have you mentioned him yet? No, you haven't. So I'll wait and I'll bring up Brian Rust again there. Frank Vitrano, good peripherals guy. Anthony Sorelli, Milan Lucic, Nick Ritchie, Dominic Simone, Yasperi Kotkaniemi. And then you've got Brent Seabrook, Nate Schmidt, and TJ Brody on defense who like aren't flyers, but they have fine floors and deep enough leagues. Okay. And how about this? These are the guys buried so... D- Do you want to say something? <laughs> yeah, you mentioned like 20 players just now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Of that list, you said I'm going to make fun of you for bringing up all 
all of them. I'm definitely going to make fun of you for bringing up like Lucic. I don't, I don't know what he can do over in Calgary. He's probably going to be in the bottom six there. Uh, most of these guys I'm not interested in. I am interested in Jesperi Kotkaniemi, though, for sure. I, I heard that he bulked up. He is the top center of the future, I think, on Montreal. And next year like could be that year where he takes a step forward. He was actually better last year than his overall numbers indicate. He hit that rookie wall, just like I was talking about with uh, Elias Pettersson earlier. So I could see him being a good value guy. As far as those defensemen, Nate Schmidt, like he's been pacing above 40 points for the past couple of seasons on Vegas and he has good peripherals and with Colin Miller gone like he has a decent shot if Vegas again goes with those two kind of like evenly played power plays like Schmidt could get a decent amount of power play time so definitely don't forget about Nate Schmidt he's really great value the rest of the guys you said I don't know Snore City for the most part to me (laughs) okay uh okay so here are two guys who are like what what Rangers fan made these rankings? You think they hate the Red Wings, Elon? Why is Anders Lee ranked three hundred and thirty first overall, which is four spots ahead of Brock Nelson? These are two guys who we have ranked like reasonably well. Like Brock Nelson last year, he had a fifty three point pace. We have him doing the same thing. And sure, if he's only, uh, he's dual eligible. So he's got left wing eligibility, which makes him reasonably valuable, especially if you're picking him that late. Guys there behind include, like I'm counting up from Brock Nelson and Anders Lee. Anders Lee, by the way, who has a shot at 60 points this season. He only paced for 51 last year. I think he's going to get at least 55 this season. So Anders Lee and Brock Nelson are behind Andrew Shaw, Thatcher Demko, Nikita Zadorov, Nick Foligno, Danton Heinen, Sven Berchi, Alex Wenberg, Kerfoot, Justin Williams, Jesse Pugliarvi, Alex Dean. Like, these guys are nowhere in these Yahoo rankings. They just pop out as you're scrolling down and down and down, and then boom, pop. You see Anders frickin' Lee, a 40-goal potential scorer. So, uh, great. These guys are amazing value if you are lucky enough to have nobody else in your league scroll this far down and they get to like, oh yeah, Casey Middlestep, Brandon Saad, Tanner Pearson, Pat Maroon. Nobody left beneath these guys. I'm going to stop scrolling now. That's what you're hoping for. And then you can snag Andersley real late in your Yahoo draft. Yeah, that's pretty much what happened to me when prepping this episode. I totally missed Andersley there. <laughs> that's amazing value at 331. That's crazy. That's insane. Come, come on, Yahoo. It feels like a mistake. Like, I of course. triple-checked it even as I talked about it. Uh, so good for him. You know, Martin Marinson is ranked, like, over 100 <laughs> spots higher. Uh, okay, and then on our way to 600, you've got Phil Dano at 344, Brian Little at 548, who could offer some value. These are more like swings to take. Eunice Donskoy, Sam Bennett in the 550s, Anthony D'Angelo at 613. Oh, I guess I'll stop there, Elon, because you said you're going up to 600. So uh, I'll stop there. Anthony D'Angelo may be worth a late swing as someone like Adam Fox who can take a crack at the top power play role in New York. The Rangers, New York. Yeah, and also, like I said, even if he's not on the top power play, he can still be good. He can still get you 10 points from the second power play with like, a, you know, 30 potential even strength points and be a 40-point guy. Like, you're on the ice with Artemi Panarin because of Banajad. This team could score some more goals next year. So yeah, I like Anthony D'Angelo as a late D-man, especially at a 613th ranked <laughs> overall. Uh, okay, so I've got some guys 600 plus that I think could be interesting. So I'll just give you my guys, Brian, then you could give me your like super, super deep cuts, though you've already given us quite a few of them. 
uh, the one on Pittsburgh who you decided to save the surprise. I want to talk about Dominic Cahoon at 633. He was acquired from Chicago in the offseason for Olimata. And I was reading that he's been skating on line one in camp with Crosby and Gensel. So an amazing spot if he could hold it. I know that you'll say no one ever holds it. And I guess you're going to say that maybe Brian Rust will get it. But Dominic Cahoon, by the way, he was a rookie last year in Chicago, 37 points. So not too shabby. And he played most of the season playing with guys like Jonathan Taves. Or he had that great run with Debrinket and Strom around January. So it seems like Dominic Cahoon is a guy that his coaches maybe like playing him with top guys. Now it's happening in Pittsburgh as well. So I could see him being a really quiet player that you don't even need to draft unless he has a really big preseason. But keep your eye on him because if he's on the top line with Crosby and Gensel, you know there's huge potential there. Uh, and another guy who's very similar that I'll bring up in the 600s as well, 641. How about Jesper Bratt? Could be a really nice guy to try out in a deeper league. He had a 53-point pace last year. Good chance he's on the wing on the second line with, like, Jack Hughes and Nikita Gusev. So he could end up having really good line mates. Maybe he could repeat. Like, obviously, he's going to have a very small chance of getting on the top power play now with all the reinforcements that New Jersey has brought in. But still, I think you could get at least a 50-point pace out of Jesper Bratt if he cracks the second line. And I think he will, unless you think, like, Wayne Simmons or someone like that is going to take that spot. No, I totally agree with you about Jesper Bratt down where he is. It's bizarre how low he is. Again, like forgotten. I know he finished the year injured, but I can't be, I can't imagine that somebody ranking these players like is like, Oh yeah, he, he was injured to end the season. Let's take him down, uh, 400 places because Jesper Bratt should not be like, he's way above anyone below 300 well pretty much anyone like we named Anders Lee and Brock Nelson who are probably around the same area I'd prefer Lee of all these guys of course but Jesper Bratt uh yeah a great very late pick that no one else is likely to pick up on unless they're listening to this show and I mean your league might be deep enough to to go to a guy like this but uh I would rather him than some of the other guys we were mentioning as late swings like Donskoy and Sam Bennett uh, and then the other one you mentioned is Dominic Cahoon. Uh, I totally agree. And we were talking about him last year at this time as someone who could step up in a role in Chicago. Uh, now we're talking about him maybe doing the same thing in Pittsburgh. But yes, I am going to say that I expect uh, the blender to be in full action at full speed in Pittsburgh all season long as it always has been on Crosby's wings. And so Dominic Cahoon might be up there. And when he is, you want him. When he's not up there, you don't want him. Brian Russ, if you're looking like if you're in a league where you have limited moves and you just want whoever's going to play the most games or spend the most time alongside Crosby, my guess is still going to be that it ends up being Brian Russ. Want to make a bet on that? Uh, Just total points or point pace for the season? Cahoon versus Rust, I would take Cahoon. I think my bet is total minutes played aside Sidney Crosby. Well, just, uh, wouldn't that likely mean the guy who's going to pace for the most points? I, I don't know. I, I, I'll i give you the field. I'll take Brian Rust and you can take the field. Well, then you're making it even easier for me. I'm saying I'm willing to take just Cahoon versus Rust straight up. For for time on ice. I mean, forget it. So you dis- so- If you say it's the same thing, then you'll take the bet. Okay, fine. I'll, I don't care. That's a boring bet. So do you agree or disagree? I'm th- saying that I think Cahoon will get more points than Brian Rust. Do you agree or disagree? Disagree. So you think Rust will get more points? Yes. So let's make a bet on it. 
Okay. Okay. That was hard. <laughs> okay. Uh, we're in the 700s now. So a lot like Jesper Bratt. Here's another guy who I think could end up on a pretty good looking second line on the Rangers. I'm talking about Philip Hedl, who might end up centering Capo Caco and Chris Kreider, which could be pretty good. Or maybe Buchnevich if Caco goes to the top line. Uh, other options for second line center on the Rangers? I guess Ryan Strom, Leas Anderson. As far as I know, those are the other options for the Rangers second line C. So maybe it could be Philip Hedl. And uh, at 763, maybe worth a swing, especially if you see him getting good deployment in the preseason. Uh, here's a guy that, I don't know, Brian, I have a feeling about him. You've said that you're not as excited, and Dom Lushishin said that he might not even play in the NHL this year. But I'm into Drake Batherson next season on the Sens. This guy had 62 points in 59 AHL games last season as a 20-year-old. That's hard to do. I know sometimes you hear numbers from players like in the minors. You're like, oh, this guy had 140 points in 80 games. And it's like, whatever. Like, a lot of people do stuff like that. But that's usually the OHL. Like, the AHL is actually a pretty tough league to do well in, especially when you're that young. Like, he's playing with much older players, and he was over a point per game. Now he goes to the Sens, who are, like, one of the shallowest teams in the NHL. So if there's any team that he could crack the lineup for, also this team has, doesn't have anything to play for i've said before like i think that they might as well try to showcase some of their young exciting talent to get fans into the seats so i'm into drake batherson potentially getting a top six role top power play and i don't know the 896 you could you could do worse i don't know who else you would take except for the last guy i'll mention who i think i'd maybe even draft ahead of drake batherson believe it or not at 9 30 Ready for this. This is crazy. Well, it's not crazy because no one knows who he is, but 930 is such a low number. <laughs> Keep your Remember this name, Victor Olofsson. He's a guy on Buffalo, and he's definitely on my radar. So he got called up to the Sabres at the end of last season. He put up two goals and two assists in six games, 21 shots on goal. Plus, he was doing that playing with Eichel and Reinhardt, seeing top power play time. So he got called up at the end of the year, you know, meaningless games, but he was given great deployment did well in them and this was after a great season in the AHL as well 63 points in 66 AHL games with Rochester I've been hearing murmurings that maybe he's going to get a shot in the top six maybe even a spot with Eichel this season so we don't know we'll obviously pay attention in preseason and keep you listeners up to date with what's going on with Victor Olafson, but he's probably not going to get drafted in your league and I would definitely add him to your watch list and keep your eye on him because if he's up with Eichel, he could end up being the best value guy in the 900s or later on Yahoo. Like, I don't think that's too hard to do. Yeah, he's probably the like the lowest ranked player that still might be worth taking a flyer on. I took him last overall in our very last slow draft. Or it wasn't last. It was like seventh last overall. It was my last pick of the draft. And uh, he's someone I'm interested in. You also mentioned, uh, who'd you mention? Drake Batherson. If he does play in the NHL, yes, right, it's going to be a matter of philo- organizational philosophy in Ottawa. Where is he going to best develop in the AHL where he can, you know, be supported by a good team and handle his own business? Or the NHL where it's going to be trial by fire? I lean towards him playing most of the season in the AHL, but sure, maybe he'll play in the NHL and put up a few points there. Philip Heedle. Uh, I'm more interested in than someone like Drake Batherson. Like you said, he could end up centering Kako and Kreider. Like, Kako potentially playing on the second line. We've assumed he was on the top line for the entire summer. Now that we're thinking, oh, maybe he plays on the second line, that changes everything for guys like Hedl and Kreider. That would be really exciting for Hedl's fantasy potential. So, yeah, I, uh, I'm i with you on him being a late guy you can take a flyer on. Uh, my guys... I stopped counting ranks uh, when I got beneath 650th ranked players. Uh, But guys, beneath that marker that you haven't mentioned that I am also interested in, 
Jacob Shikrin in Arizona could have a good season just in terms of peripherals. And then there is some offensive upside there if he does get an opportunity to prove it. Uh, Jordan Greenway in Minnesota is someone who we wanted to see get a better opportunity in Minnesota last year. Didn't materialize. Maybe it will this year. Andrew Mangiapane in Calgary could end up with a spot in the top six. And wouldn't that be nice? Especially like if we're, if all this fear about Lindholm not playing on the top line comes true, then maybe Manjapan, I mean, I guess you have uh, Milan Lucic who could fill up a top six spot. If I'm taking a flyer on one of them, though, I'll take a flyer on Manjapane and see where he lands over the first couple weeks of the season. Christian Dvorak, also a potential top six player in Arizona. And that finishes my list because you mentioned Batherson and Olofsson. And I already mentioned Caleb Jones, who, like, don't go drafting Caleb Jones. It's just uh, some apparently Oilers hatred in the Yahoo rankings. I bet every fan of any team is like, why do you hate my players to the algorithm that ranks Yahoo players? Do we even know? How do we not know how these players are ranked and what the process is by now? I assumed it was like based on a Roto World rankings or something because they always show Roto World news items. So I assume they got it from there. I think it's a person. I don't think it's an algorithm. But yeah, if anyone knows, like tweeted us, we'd love to interview the person who makes these rankings on our show. That would be a huge get for us. Mangiapani, I will mention, I believe is uh, RFA right now. So I think he first has to sign a contract before he can make the team. But yeah, someone to keep an eye on in Calgary. And you correct me if I'm wrong there, Brian. Uh, the other names, yeah. Also Caleb Jones. I think I'm more into this Joel Pearson than Caleb Jones. But who knows for these Edmonton. <laughs> what about Ethan Bear? Like, how are the, how are there so many names we can bring up on the Oilers as potential offensive defensemen? That's good. And yet... I mean, it's great, but they've lacked a power play quarterback for how many years now? And there's like these five guys who, like some of them, like Ethan Bear has been around a bit. So is Darnell Nurse. So is Oscar Plethbaum. And none of them, even on a power play that features Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, have been able to put up big production from that spot. Yeah. And by the way, we should obviously mention, if we're mentioning Edmonton defensemen, we have to mention Evan Bouchard, who's supposed to eventually be this like defenseman of the future. Yes. Yeah. And don't forget, didn't they, uh, uh, what's the, this Broberg? Is that the guy they drafted? That sounds right. We'll worry about him next year. Yeah, Philip Broberg, drafted eighth overall by Edmonton uh, in the 2019 NHL entry draft. And by the way, Elon Alex mentioning in the chat that Majapane has signed. He signed today for 700. Well, oh, there's there's argument in the chat about how much he signed for. Was it 750? Was it 715? Oh, it's 715 as per cap friendly. Thanks to Adam. If we're wrong about this, blame Adam and Alex. They're lying to us in the chat room while we record a show and our research abilities are compromised. Also, I don't need to research to correct what I said earlier about Nikita Gusev being a member of the Vegas golden knights uh, he plays for new jersey yes. we all know this yeah he got traded earlier then he signed a two-year contract so there you go i'm excited about nikita gusev so why not end the show on him this has been a fun <laughs> trip down the list of yahoo rankings i hope you liked it as a listener of the show if you're new to the show you're excited to play fantasy this year and start listening to some fantasy hockey content glad to have you aboard subscribe we're going to be putting out shows every single week and really brian i think our bread and butter is once the season's going and every sunday we're going to let you know who did well this week who are players that you should be having on your radar who are who's who are players that everyone's adding but we think actually you 
should be dropping or trying to sell high on. Like, we get into all of that every single week. It's a really fun time. So we hope you'll stick with us. You can subscribe to us on all, all the places. You know, look for Keeping Carlson. You found this episode. I'm sure you'll be able to find other ones. Uh, I'll throw out some other quick links and things to consider. Uh, so we have a Patreon where we try our best. Like, first of all, if you like the show and you listen to it all the time, maybe you want to do something nice and, like, support us a little bit. Like, five bucks a month, you're basically bri- buying Brian or I a beer, like a cheap beer once a month to thank us for our work but we also do a lot to try to thank the patrons for their support so some of the perks that we provide include a patron only facebook group where brian and i are in there as well as all these smart patrons answering people's fantasy questions giving advice sharing interesting fantasy news so it's a really fun place and useful place if you want to ask your questions or should i trade this guy for this guy or should i drop drop this guy for this guy uh, we have the cupful which is now filled so sign up registration deadline has passed but you can still sign up for the wait list and who knows maybe if we could get enough people in the wait list we can add another team, Brian. 18 divisions in the Cacupful this year. 18 leagues. That's 252 people are going to be competing in the Cacupful, working their way up to try to get to Tier 1 and become the ultimate champion and dethrone Dave. Uh, I'm going to be one of the people who has a chance to do that this year. I'm going to be in Tier 1. I'm a little nervous, but uh, I hope I can make you proud. Uh, th- <laughs> make who proud? You. You'll make me proud no matter what. Just try your best. And by the way, 18 divisions means we have... 252 owners. Elon, I think we should, like, if anyone has a hookup with Guinness, like the world records, I feel like this is one. This has to be the biggest fantasy hockey league in the world, right? I mean, let's just say it is until someone proves <laughs> otherwise. Alex is saying the Facebook group is the best fantasy hockey resource around, so he said it, not me, okay? There's other perks as well. We do a monthly patron cast. We're going to be doing one at the end of this month where we answer all the questions from the patrons. So we have fun. Keepingcarlson.com slash patron. You'll see the rest. Uh, then we have our almanac, which is still available to buy. It's like 28 plus hours, 32 chapters where we go through the fantasy values of all the fantasy relevant players on every single NHL team, one chapter per team. We come up with a projection for every player. We have a spreadsheet. If you're like, oh man, I don't have time to uh, listen to a whole almanac at this point. My draft's like next week. We've also just made available all of the chapters that you could purchase a la carte. 250 a piece. You throw down 250, you get yourself a listen for an hour about the Toronto Maple Leafs or or whatever team you want to listen to. So keepingcarlson.com slash almanac to get the whole thing. Keepingcarlson.com slash singles if you want to just buy a single chapter. So I threw a lot of links at you. You got slash patron, slash almanac, slash singles, or you could just tweet at us at keepingcarlson and we'd be happy to point you in whatever direction you want to go. You could also just throw us your fantasy questions on Twitter. We're always uh, trying our best to help you out if you have any queries or quandaries. I think with that, Brian, we are done here. So uh, I'm ready to cue the outro music unless you have something to say first. Well, if anyone's listened this long, a little reward. Uh, Yaroslav Halak ranked 325th overall, which is in, in great contrast to Tuka Rask. I also, I forgot about my goalies. Uh, you've got Linus Allmark ranked the 46th goalie who could challenge for the top spot in Buffalo before long. Corpusala, we mentioned. And then there's a bunch of guys who could just get you wins when they play. If you have deep rosters and you can manage to, like, you can afford to hold goalies for a while. Um, all between 331st and 340th overall, Hudobin, McElhaney, DeSmith, and Brossois, four guys who seem pretty reliable and putting up great numbers when they do spot start for their respective and very strong teams, and then guys who you can rely on less for good numbers, uh, but get to play for good teams, Malcolm Subban, 506th overall, and Mikhail Neuwirth at 577th overall, assuming he does get the backup job in Toronto. Which he won't, but I know you think he will, so that's fair. I think you think Michael Hutchinson will instead. Yeah. Why? Do you want to bet on it? Add, okay. Add it to the bet board. 
<laughs> back Toronto backup goalie on opening night. Yeah. We'll see if Neuwirth can stay healthy for the month. Okay. I I didn't write any of our bets down, by the way. Okay, well, someone can let us know what we bet on, like usual, <laughs> and then we can forget about them. So, right now, can we cue the outro music? And how about you yes. go ahead and read us the credits? All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dabra Hockey and powered by our patrons, including, like, so the last time I thanked and listed names, it was maybe six weeks ago. So thank you to everyone who's joined since then. And congratulations to the five most recent ones, Richard, Sean, Jeremiah, Douglas, and Andrew, who get the thanks for everybody. Uh, so thanks a lot. You can join us too, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. And I will say your name on the show if you joined and you really wanted your name said, uh, which Elon would never think is the case, but I understand it might be. Uh, send us a tweet or an email or get at us on the Facebook group and I will make it right on our next episode. Okay, this episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Natural Stat Trick, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, Charting Hockey, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, and Yahoo! Great job, as always, Brian. Yes, Yahoo did play a role in this episode, that's for sure. And I'm really looking forward to doing our next episode next week. We're going to talk about some preseason. I cannot wait. Until then, keep on keeping Carl's on. Peace.